Greetings, standard nerds. This is Christopher McClanahan of DeeplyDapper.com. Tom Catamonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And it's and time, it's time to... to... Hey, oh, we did it right. that was the closest we've ever gotten. <laughs> Release the... Kraken! on Robot Kraken. We appease the beast with a Game of Thrones double feature. We review episodes 7 and 8. <laughs> You're like, this does not compute. My robot brain cannot handle this. It can't. Uh, so, uh, welcome to Robot Kraken. Yay! Duo of Chris of Deeply Dapper and Tom of Third Rail Design Lab. That's you and that's me. We talk about movies and shows and comics, entertainment news, general miscellany. Sometimes we say this, sometimes we don't. Today we did. We don't. I didn't remember we were saying it. It threw me off. I was like, what's he doing? He's talking about the old intro. But I like (laughs) the sound of it, so I'll listen. We have what we call options. (laughs) So, what are you drinking, Tom? I think it's time for sucking the monkey. Are you going to bring me that martini, or do I have to suck it out of the glass from here? Sucking the what? You mean our segment on drinking? Yeah, drinking. Oh, I have one for you tonight, let me tell you. Oh, yeah? I bet yours is much more impressive than mine. Wait a minute. Alert. Except I can't get mine open. All right, I'm ready. So check this out. I'm going to use video, even though it's inappropriate. Once again. Is that a pirate ship? It is. God damn it. Hold on. Let me get the light on. All right, so. Pirate Ale. Pirate. It's Pirate Ale. Pirate. Yarr. 10.5% alcohol by volume. My. Belgian Ale. And it's delicious, and I have a very tall bottle of that, so that's what I'm drinking. So what you're drinking out of your fancy glass there? That's right. I'm drinking it out of this sweet, sweet glass with a gold rim. Ah, Oh, look at that. Nothing nothing is too good. That is not microwave safe. It, it is not. It's also like predates microwaves. Also, it's like a great, great, great grandparents' glass, you know? Like, <laughs> right. Like when, they, when they made this glass, people were still talking about Bismarckian alliances. So, and then here's here's the real here's the real magic. This is a bit. Of, this is kind of blasphemous, but check this out. Check out my Father's Day gift from my loving wife. Here it is. Here it is. <gasps> a Kraken <laughs> black spiced rum shot glass. With a with a black tentacle wrapping that around it. That is bitchin', dude. And the only thing that's tragic about it is that I'm going to be using bullet rye in it. What? You're a bad yeah. man. Well, because, I don't know, I was thinking about it, and I just decided I didn't think I wanted to have an occasional shot of, of spiced rum with Flemish ale. I just, uh, I didn't Yeah, those two don't necessarily go that well together. So I'm still representing uh, Kraken. Spiced rum with the container for the beverage. Yeah, and that is a mighty fine container. I assume you can get that at the the Kraken shop on krakenrum.com. Well, this can be verified independently, but supposedly not. She eBayed it, and uh, my guess is it came from one of those marketed, either a a promo thing or one of those things where you can get a special special edition of the bottle and you get a couple of glasses. Oh, right. I've never seen it. It could be. It's really cool. If it's not in their store... It should be. It should be. Yes. I would get. I would get like twelve of these, and this is what I'd serve all the kids their food in, right? And just be like, <laughs> "Here's carrots." Daddy, make it stop. What are you drinking? I am drinking a Sam Adams beer right now. 
Why do you have that that tone about it? Uh, because you know how many people in the world would would be desperate for a Sam Adams right now? This is literally the only beer I have in my fridge right now. So, well, that's not entirely true. I also have a can of Big Flats Lager, from which is a two ninety nine a six pack beer that they sell at Walgreens. Oh my word! You're just bringing us I down it, straight to the gutter. Yeah, I use that beer literally just to barbecue, and I just I pour it say, in the little yeah. the steamer box when I'm smoking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was gonna say I've used I've used uh, cheap beer for marinade, you know, making marinades and stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, although sometimes, depending on the circumstance, I've used very delicious IPAs for that same purpose, which is actually what There's I should. There's no be such thing of. as a delicious IPA. Son of a gun. So you follow that too? You and Devin both? I'm not a big fan of the, Actually, Devin likes IPAs. It's my brother oh. that doesn't like them. Oh, right. And You're I just don't like three. super hoppy drinks, actually. Yeah, I understand. I see how you are. But you, they're you know, bitter. I, I like I it, it sweet. I'm a sweet okay. guy. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a few random bits that I want to say real quick before we get into the meat of it. One, uh, as established last week and forevermore, it will, we will always refer to it as a robot and not robot. a robot because this is old-timey and robot is the way we do it. Yeah, see? Unless robot cracking here. Unless, unless we forget, in which case, you know, we, whatever we didn't do it. Yes. Here's another thing. Uh, I was listening to the Weekly Planet podcast today, and they were doing a random fantasy casting, which made me think about how you continued to delay on your Runaways fantasy casting choices. Well, you know, I had and, one, but it ran away. <laughs> But you know, you are not going to get through the summer without answering that. My fantasy cast caught me murdering a teenage girl, and they just took off, man. There was nothing I could do about it. That's really creepy. So there's was it was someone that wrote into them and said, "Hey, what would you, who would you cast for Rick and Morty? Have you you've seen that show, right? Yes. Rick and Morty. I've listened to this episode too. You have? Yeah, I listened to it this weekend while I was driving home from Denver Comic Con. Are you suggesting to me that you and I have common interests? You said it was a good show. I listened to it. I mostly agree. It's a very entertaining show. <laughs> uh, anyway. Don't point people at things more entertaining than us, Tom. I didn't see They that. even have sponsors. They They're do. fancy. Uh, okay, but here's the thing. So they came up with Michael Sarah as Morty, which I thought was a good call. Mm-hmm. But they were all over the place on Rick. And right. I didn't agree with any of their choices. And it's hard. And they didn't they didn't mention this in the show, but it's really hard when that whole show is mimicking Back to the Future as a right. premise. You can't get away from Christopher Lloyd, right? Right. But a lot of the stuff that they were coming up with, they were coming up with actors who have a slow cadence that don't have the mania that I think you need to have. I agree. For Rick. And while I was driving, I decided that uh, a good casting choice would be Fred Willard. Hmm, that's not a bad choice, yeah. I've, I, I admittedly, I haven't actually seen Rick and Morty. I just am aware of it peripherally. But from what I've seen of it, that seems like a really solid choice to me. Are those guys always, from New Zealand? Uh, they're from Australia. Australia. So, so I probably be, just offended them by saying that they're from New Zealand. Because they do listen to this podcast. Of course they do. Clearly, who wouldn't? And a lot of their mini, their, their weekly wackadadoos or whatever do as well. <laughs> I have another random thing for you. Um, so did we talk about last time the new Voltron show? I so think we Netflix. mentioned the fact that it existed. I've seen the first episode now. Okay. I cannot. This is one of these ones where the voices 
you know, it's playing in the background and my kids are watching it and I'm doing something else in the kitchen or whatever. And I cannot, I can't not listen. Right. Because all I'm hearing is Rice Darby. Right. right? And, and then Tyler Levine, right? Right. So, and, so between the two, I just can't get over it. You know, I, it's <laughs> obsessed. I'm obsessed with the voice the voice acting in that show. And I've only watched probably 10 minutes of it myself. Yeah. I, so. That's, that's really what sold me on watching it. Cause I was never super attached to Voltron growing up, but Devin over on my other podcast, he, he enjoys it. And we found out it happened. He's like, you should watch it. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it. So I watched an episode, but I haven't really watched much TV for the last week because I've been prepping for con. And then I was at con and didn't have internet in my hotel room. So, I just wallowed this is for, in sadness. This is foreshadowing. Yes. This is foreshadowing for the next segment. Yes. Uh, uh, okay, and then I have one other thing, which is I try to take photos of this, but uh, I can't get it to work in the dark. But So there's this thing that happens. Anytime it's I'm... Tom's pee. Oh. Nope. So, <laughs> nope. Uh, so the lights are out. Maybe it is, actually. No, so the lights are out, and I got the TV going, and I have the earphones on, whatever. I'm going to watch something. Everyone went to sleep. And uh, Olivia, our one-year-old plus black cat, just gets up onto the couch closest to the TV, which is like an Eames, so it's really low and flat, right? So mm-hmm. she gets up in the front, and she just gets all up in the right in right in the middle of what I'm watching, right? She's <laughs> blocking me. And usually she settles down, so she's kind of low, and that's fine. But there are a couple. There have been a couple of times when she just can't. She just loses her shit about what's going on. And so it was when I was watching Game of Thrones this last time. Anytime a dragon, I realize, and it's specifically dro- is it Drogon, Drogon is the name yeah. of the black. It's the black dragon. I don't see her act as active when the other dragons are in the air, but specifically the black dragon. Maybe it looks like a bat, but she just goes crazy. She gets up on her hind legs and she's just. How funny. I don't even know what happened in that scene because all I saw was my cat. She just is really charmed by him. They're going to have a little. Good God, can you imagine the the unholy union of Olivia and Drogon? (laughs) I I think it's toothless. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is actually. <laughs> yes, it and is. And before I forget, you got to add to your list of uh, our list of, of review topics. I saw Spectre. I did. We mentioned that last week that I skipped to the end and saw it. Yeah, didn't didn't watch everything. But also the other night, I managed to get get a hold of Cloverfield Lane and watch it. Oh, you it was... did. Right on. What did you so... think? Well, without uh, doing a review of it, we'll we'll cover it in an episode. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is that I enjoyed it. Um, I thought there were parts that were going in the direction I thought they would, and then there were other parts that that were twists that I didn't expect. Yeah, even the things that I expected, I liked the way they were handled. But most of all, it was one of those projects where I was just kind of glad it existed. Yeah, it was. It was a. I enjoy it. I I think we should review that one on a future episode for the the home video version of it. I think you're right. All right. Well, so do you want to do the shipyard segment, Chris? Yeah, let's move to the shipyard. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? So we talk about art and cons and such. Yes. This is so where tell, we are building things. That's right. So you've had a lot of things happening. I have. Yeah, this was a hell of a weekend for me. I'm still recovering from it. And it's I've been home for two days now, and I still just feel totally wiped out. I went to Denver Comic-Con, and Denver... Pardon me. Sam Adams just punched me in the throat. <laughs> I thought you were pausing to try to think of In Denver, Colorado. <laughs> uh, 
this is the first time I've done Denver, and I've I did a night by night recap of it. Thomas pouring beautifully well, into the bottle now. Uh, this is the first time I've done this show, um, and I did do a night by night recap of it on Deeply Dapper Dispatches, but by the same token, it was also consisting largely of me being really tired in the hotel room the next day. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was good. It was definitely a big con. And anytime you've got 100,000 people at a con, you don't really do anything fun. You just work the whole time. Sure. And then you pass out. Yeah. If if you if you were comfortable enough in your hotel room to pass out. Right. If yeah. And you weren't required to make product overnight to sell the next yeah. day. Yeah, and I did both of those things. I had a shitty hotel room and a super shitty hotel. And that whole thing was just a nightmare, dude. Like <laughs> I, I usually have this rule that if you have to move rooms more than twice, you get out of that hotel. But when you're like in a town... Third times the charm is your limit. Right? right, exactly. But I was in room four by the time I finally settled in for the night. But when you're in a town with 100,000 extra people arriving for Comic-Con, you can't plus find a hotel room. So I kind of I, ended plus up... Plus attendees and stuff. So right, right. More. So I kind of got stuck... At the place I was at, which was the shittiest travel lodge in the world. Um, it was sadly a Wildling hotel, but Tormund was not holding up his his support structure at this hotel. <laughs> there was only one picture of him in the entire hotel, and he looked strangely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> not his patented smile. Is kind of No, not at all. It was a picture of him from Game of Thrones after <laughs> Brienne had rejected him, and he was just yep. sad. Holding mutton disconsolately. Yeah, I understand. Do you know that I originally planned on saving and reading to you all of your texts to me from this weekend <laughs> on this podcast because I was rereading it and it was like start to finish. It was this. It was almost like poetry, but it was like poet. It was like Lovecraftian poetry, right? Like everything was going wrong, and you you were doing sentence fragments, and there was like I could tell you were sobbing while you were writing. It just. Uh, pretty tragic yeah it is pretty tragic actually yeah yeah i don't think i sent you much of any like full sentence outside of me holding beverages and flipping people off for the most part (laughs) (laughs) oh man but you're the the narration of you going from room to room and because remember we were going to try to we were actually had this idea that we were going to be in a normal hotel we would try to do some field recording um that Saturday and uh, or that Friday night, whatever it was, and right. it was such a garbage fire that you're like, not only do I not have internet, but I don't even have you know whatever running water. Or whatever yeah, was. yeah. The the first room all it was was running water. There was a oh, overflowing bathtub, so they moved me to another room that hadn't been cleaned yet that featured litterings of condom wrappers on the floor still and cigarette burns and overflowing trashes. So I went back, and I'm like, uh, yeah, that one's not going to fly either. So they put me in another room that was just absolutely filthy. Like, like they let Pigpen live there for a week, and they huh. made the the dulcetory attempt at changing the sheets and called it good. There was a vinyl decal of barbed wire running across the top of the bathroom mirror. 
So it was an upgraded room. Yeah, it was like like a deck. Yeah, it was it was curated by the Sons of Anarchy. Apparently, the decor <laughs> in that room it was pretty impressive. Wow. And the sucky thing was you had no options. No, I really didn't. And I made the mistake of ordering through Priceline and not reading the reviews before I booked it because I was running late and I was just like, ah, whatever, 65 bucks a night, that's cheap. Boop. And then afterwards I'm like, oh, look, that's a one-star hotel on Priceline, which is a negative <laughs> yeah. three-star hotel on any other website. So... Yeah, it was not fun. The con itself was all right. It was busy. And, you know, I was gone from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. every night. So the hotel didn't matter that much as long as I had a bed. But I had an experience like that in Fresno, California, that we were we were there for a wedding. And it was 150 degrees and the air conditioning was broken. And it was uh, leaking something that wasn't water. Like it was kind of red that's like lovely. liquid that was really rancid was coming out of the unit so they have some sort of fungal activity or bacterial activity in the that's in the air conditioning unit and so it was a thousand it was well whatever 150 <laughs> degrees plus no air no ac plus the door didn't latch and there was no hope and so we made it through the weekend it was a dry wedding by the way oh and we lovely. made it through the whole weekend and it colored my I mean, there are a lot of people who have negative feelings about Fresno, California, but I mean, that was my first and last time. Right. So, like, the whole city was that hotel room to me. Nice. Right. Like, nice. I couldn't get it. Anyway, so, but the con itself, right? Really busy. Yeah, it really was. It was slammed. I, and you know, I had quite a few guests come by the table that were like there to see me specifically. They'd either seen me at, at Cheyenne or Rocky Mountain Comic Con or one of those. And that's always super cool. I love seeing people that are there to see me kind of thing. That's kind of neat. Well, sure. That's awesome. Like, I sold completely out of my Jareth print. Sold through my I drink and I know thing flasks over and over again. So I was up until midnight each night making more of those. Oh wow! <laughs> so it was a busy night, definitely, or a busy weekend. Um, it's been good to see that the the flasks are doing well. They are doing well. I'm getting a pretty good response from those. I actually. Um, Spoke to a couple of other artists that are tentatively interested in having me make some flasks for their artwork as well. Aha. Uh -huh. So I guess that's a sign of a idea that's picking up and doing well. Wow. That yeah. is super cool. Yeah. Someday I could just stop going to cons and just make stuff for other people. It's, <laughs> it's like you started that way. Yeah, really. So do you have a sense yet of how well you did in the end? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've gone through and done inventory and counted up everything, and we did well. Um, okay. I, it's not, we did not do, do as well as Cheyenne, actually. Oh, interesting. And I think that comes down to the fact that there were 30,000 people at Cheyenne with, a, like, maybe 100 vendors, whereas here there were 100,000 people, but well over 200 just in Artist Alley, let alone the other vendors. Yeah. So. Yeah, there was a lot more money to spread around, but there were a lot more areas to spread that money. So, so you have so are you doing um, con reports on Deeply Dapper Dispatches as well on this or no? Yeah, it'll I I it actually should be up tomorrow morning. Um, okay. It's just a quick Which will little be two half weeks hour. Ago by the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, two weeks ago tomorrow yeah. morning. <laughs> but anyway, our our three hundred thirty three thousand listeners can can 
can tap deeply dapper dispatches podcast and hear even more details about this con right yes yes. so you're actually have a couple weeks to chill before or to just do normal level of work before the next con yeah actually um i canceled the most recent con that i was gonna go to um yeah it was this is not a terribly heartbreaking thing for me but i'd scheduled a con called halloween in summer in magna utah and it was a one-day con and it sounded really fun. Like, everybody dresses up in costumes, and you give out Halloween candy, and it's they've got, like, tattoo artists and musicians, and it's totally like a street festival. But it's outdoor in the summer. It's going to be 103 degrees. Nope. And I may or may not still owe some taxes from my last Utah uh, show. So uh-huh. <laughs> until those are paid and they're registered fully, I'm not actually <laughs> legal to sell in Utah anyway. So I had to write them today and just be like, ah, as much as I'd like to do it, it looks like fun. I kind of don't think the three days of running a table one day in 115 degree temperature is really worth it to me. Yeah, that sounds like a good point. Yeah, the soaps I sell are all really temperature sensitive. I mean, they're they're cold processed, so they're not like they're going to melt, but they won't keep the right consistency and scent in that Understood. kind of weather. So, right. so yeah, I don't have another con until, oh, like four weeks. I've got like a whole month off. It's crazy. I don't have a con until Helena, Montana on the 21st of July. So I was looking at the schedule and realized that um, my first con for the year is coming up sooner really than later. Really fast, Septem- dude. Yeah. September 1st, which ties right into my shipyard segment, which is, oh, no, <laughs> I'm so behind. <laughs> the, the good news is, I mean, I, m- my wife, as you know, she works in law, and she she was on a trial over this past several weeks. And I had this this expectation that I was going to burn through my next book, or X two books, right. and get them ready for press just in the nights that she was gone. But taking care of the two kids plus all of my my work, which is I'm just up to my eyeballs, right? Doing some work at night, and everything else. I got nothing done, nothing. <laughs> so this week she's back. What you a know, surprise! Week, a single dad with two young kids didn't get anything done. <laughs> plus Overwatch. <laughs> well, anyway, so and whiskey. So 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 anyway, the thing is, I did. I went through one of the hardest parts of this process, which is the preparing the material for consideration for those books because right. i'm going to do at this point it's looking like one book of bots and one book of bugaboos which is awesome bugaboos. but i'm not sure that's what i think it's going to be anyway i pulled all the material i i found all all the stuff i wanted to use that was older and and then went through and filtered it a couple of times to get to what i wanted to actually use mm-hmm. and now the technically hard part comes in because you know maybe 90 percent of that stuff or more more were done on post-its right with, a, with with microns and a sharpie or something and sometimes i process them to even be more yellow than it was <laughs> and so now and and so the vision for these books is to do traditional uh gray grayscale traditional um uh copic right or did we decide it was copic or copic uh copic according to Cop- their website yeah okay well, we're gonna believe the website so the idea was that I, I liked enough the the physical media experiments that we were that I was doing when I was with you actually right. at eight, I think was when I decided well maybe I'll make this book so now I have you know ninety five percent of the content for the book I have to figure out a way of pre processing so that I can go back and redo it by hand right 
So no, I did it by hand and then scanned it. Now I have to go. I have to tweak it such that I can get it back into physical media and then hand color them with the Copics and then <laughs> re- and then rescan them for the book. And so at least I did, the hard part was figuring out what I was going to use and, and and I have that sorted in and and then figuring out um, the methodology to 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 process that material and and our friend Lung helped me out with that. So nice. so. I've made a lot of progress, but it's that kind of progress that has nothing to show for it, but it's organizational. <laughs> right. And Which, then I actually drew... You're oh, all org porny all the time anyway, so this I, isn't terribly surprising to me. <laughs> but where it's bitten me in the ass is the is the TRDL universe stuff, like the source books and the, and right. the ongoing... All that stuff that I was doing so... You know, Bibles of material, the Bible of stuff about how this was supposed to go together reams of it you've seen it mm-hmm. that seen that board i've done the whole bubble yeah. diagram about everybody's <laughs> yeah. related. and then when the kids started hatching i would lose the thread and put it down for a while and then as soon as someone was in a crib finally i would go back to it <laughs> you know and then work on it for six months or or a year and then and then another kid came and there was another six or seven months of, of hiatus and so even though it was all organized it went long enough that the organization is actually worse than no organization at all. Right. It's done. So you don't even know what you did or didn't do completely. So I just have to not let that happen to me. Yeah. And, and then I did actually do two pieces of art. I, I inked a sketch for an apocalypse redesign. Oh, nice. Not just a design, Chris, but a redesign as you know, to do those. And then I went back and I pulled pencils of a Vixen redesign from DC Comics, and so I ink that as well. I'm sure so, I knew who that is. She, yeah, she has powers of animals, runs around in Africa, has an orange jumpsuit. Oh, yeah, on. okay. So She's DC's Tigra. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, progress. Right on. So I guess that's our shipyard in it. Was. That's what we're Art making. Stuff. That's what's in the yard, ready to rock and roll, roll on out to sea. Something like that. Do you want to talk about our root segment, our robots root? Yeah, let's let's talk about some news with the root. There's a touch of madness around here. That's stuff that's happening, right? Things yes. that people would know about unless we told them. Yes, things that have happened or are happening or will happen. That's right. Or may or may not happen. Or are rumored to happen. Yeah, one, all those one things. Thing, one thing that was rumored to happen, which makes me sad, was the death of Anton... Yelchin. Yeah, that's uh, that really. It surprised me definitely. It was you that told me that at DC C, right? Just to make your day worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard. Um, Ed, Carl Urban was actually at Denver Comic Con, and he oh, really? apparently had a really rough day Sunday because of that too. Can you imagine going through a con guest experience when your, you know, your fellow actor that you were close to passes away mm-hmm. suddenly? In such a in tragic a trash, manner. Random six feet under style, final destination style accident. Yeah. It just seems so like there's no death that's better than another death, right? Right. It's all Boolean and, and, and they all suck equally, but the idea that he got out of his car thinking it was in park and went around behind it to do whatever and then it released it and then it released and rolled back and pinned him to his own security gate and killed him. Yeah, it's just insane. On a, on a vehicle that has a known recall for a failure in the design of how it tells you whether or not it's in park. Right. Uh, you know, it's so regrettably avoidable, but think of how many accidents are like that, right? Right. I mean, absolutely. 
we talk about that all the time about the, the the statistics of falling deaths off of three foot ladders versus, you know, the the specter of a of a of a suicide bomber or an air aircraft accident, right? Right. It's these stupid little accidents that, you know, by definition, were <laughs> a random circumstance that didn't need to happen that just happened and it was just, you know. There's no coming back from it. It just feels no. tragic. Yeah, and he had so much promise to me. I thought. Yeah, I I'd seen him in a couple of movies. Well, I'd seen him in Star Trek, obviously, and then I saw him in a movie that we reviewed on the other website that I don't remember what it was called, but it was a Joe Dante movie about zombies, and he was easily like one of the highlights in the movie. He he just has this like casual charm. He's he really does. Yeah. His parents were uh, like ballet dancers or... Oh, really? Something like that from Russia, yeah. You know, here's the thing about him. Again, there's no good death or bad death, and everybody meets their maker or lack of maker in the end, whether they were good people or bad people. It doesn't... You know, no no life is more valuable than another life in theory. However, that's an actor that you hear nothing about good thing, nothing but good things about their personality, that they were kind to their co their their fellow actors that they were really pleasant to talk to that they were nice in interviews that they had an optimism or a pleasant spirit about them that's what you heard about him right and so of course he's he gets rolled over by his own car and killed right and then and then you have you know dickheads that make up the majority of hollywood i'm not even smacking myself tonight because right. i've had it in honor of you know just my cracking yeah. thing i'm not, I'm, I'm not going to even slap so there are so many people in the establishment of of making entertainment product that are just 100 percent jerks yeah that you know here's a nice guy that gets crushed yeah it's just frustrating yeah it really genuinely is yeah yeah it was a tragic ending and uh, this the story is just so like you said it's it feels like something out of pushing daisies or six feet under or something like that it's just uh, if it wasn't real life it would be kind of quirky and right. unusual, but instead it's just fucking terrible. <laughs> well, well, speaking of of hundred uh, percent jerks in Hollywood, uh, they released the Jack Reacher trailer. Yeah, the, yeah the, like the official trailer, not the Entertainment Weekly talked over it. Yeah, what the heck was up with that nonsense? That was terrible. That was I, so I couldn't. I couldn't deal. <laughs> I think you and I agree that Tom Cruise is not a great Jack Reacher with with regards to the source material. I read it, and I didn't. I don't read books, but I liked the first movie. Yeah, yeah, the first movie was a lot of fun, and considering the book to Hollywood translation, they did a pretty good job, all things considered. And I came around to the idea that as long as I'm okay with him being Tom Cruise, being Tom Cruise. He's pretty enjoyable as Reacher. See, I really – so I find Tom Cruise very charismatic. I like watching him in movies quite a bit, right? As, right. as long as he's not completely self-absorbed and smug in his character, <laughs> you know, I, I really enjoy him. And even then, something like uh, All You Need Is Kill, as I insist right. it, sh- it should still be named, you know, he was playing – he was playing a parody of, of his own persona before he got slapped around by aliens and came – you know, whatever it is. And, and then, right. you know – came out of it um, as a protagonist but the thing about this Jack Reacher project to me it's sort of like the Jeremy Renner Bourne movie mm-hmm. it's like if you just change the name of the character you'd have nothing to complain about right 
Yeah, like, exactly. All the all the criticism of this project that I can tell is because the guy in the books is you know six seven three hundred pounds, right? And it's, and it's not just how he looks; it's his per and his per, his personality is about that. Mm-hmm. He's the elephant in the in the whatever I should say the bull in the china shop. He's right. Just very physical, just constantly imposing beast of a man. Right. Right. And so yeah, you got a four foot one <laughs> actor and. You know, fine. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. If it was just... And, you know, if it wasn't a book series that was currently being published, I right. think it would have a little more leniency, too. Because they've made a few other books, like the Matthew Scudder books and the the Richard Stark uh, Parker books, which mm-hmm. they've made, like, three or four different ones of those. Jason Statham looks nothing like Parker does in those books, but it was... Those are books from, like, the 60s. It's so it's far enough removed from the source material that I was totally down with Statham as Parker. <laughs> well, and then with Jack Reacher specifically, it's not just that, you know, it's, you know, the character looks different. But it's it's their personality embedded in their physical presence. And that, that is a problem, yeah. But, yeah, change the name. And it's and think about the Jack Ryan stuff, right? Like, like they've had like three or four different actors play that role. Right. And, and each time they've changed it, depending, or in some of the cases that they've taken on a new actor and they've rebooted it, or they've changed the, 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 the format of the story sort of rebooted it. Yeah. My impression of it is if it wasn't Jack Ryan, Joe, CIA analyst, Joe Smith, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, right. But like, I couldn't, I, I I actually enjoyed that last one with Chris Pine, even mm-hmm. though Chris Pine is really hard to suffer through in movies if he's not playing a pretty boy because he's so distracting in his physical the way he right. looks. I wouldn't even say he's the handsome the handsomest guy around, but he has such a such a pretty boy face. Yeah, his really that, striking distinctive features the the light color of his eyes and yeah. his lips and everything else. He has a very distinctive look. And so and, and somehow that works for me when he's playing Kirk. Mm-hmm. But in that Jack Ryan movie, I I couldn't. It was like Chris. It was Chris Pine supposedly <laughs> playing Jack Ryan right. in this movie. And had he had a different name and just be some generic, some 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 just made for the movies movie script character, I think I would have been able to accept it more. Yeah, right. Because yeah, I absolutely. never accepted Jack Ryan in any of the versions of that story, old or young. I never imagined him to be a distractingly handsome guy. <laughs> right. He's supposed He's... to be an analyst. Right. Yeah, analysts behind the scenes not attractive. That's the rule. <laughs> we're we're going to get letters, you know that, right? <laughs> From analysts everywhere. I hope we get pictures. <laughs> analysts send us pictures proving Tom wrong. You two are just dumber than a bag of hammers. It's like when when whoever it was made those comments about scientists and women, and then all of a sudden all these really really attractive uh, scientist women were posting things like saying, you know, screw you. Yeah. And then the, and then other women were like, and also who cares what we look like? And then other people were like, and also who cares what their gender is in it? <laughs> right. And then everybody was like, who cares about that? Bring on the sexy scientists again. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of sexy science, what about keeping up with the Joneses trailer that came out like yesterday or today? Yeah, that was interesting. I had not heard anything about that movie at all. I heard the title once, and that's it. Yeah. Or like the, the premise or something, and that, and I had no idea about the casting or anything about it until that trailer came out. Yeah, and it's a, a movie about the typical suburban couple who have a 
atypically handsome and attractive-looking couple move in next door that have something mysteriously spy-like about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of of the tone of Neighbors mm-hmm. mixed with the imagery of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, although not the, the storyline of right, it, right? Right, um, but, but But similar in that you have two incredibly attractive actors playing incredibly attractive people Yes. In a in a suburban environment where they stick out like sore thumbs, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, you but, don't see uh, Gal Gadot and Gadot. John Hamm <laughs> just like hanging out in suburbia very often. <laughs> and you know, it jumped the shark in in thirty seconds into the trailer. It jumps the shark, and she's and she steps out of the dressing room in lingerie. <laughs> right. Confront. Uh, what's He's La Fisher. Yeah, yeah, and and and. And, you know, you're like, okay, she's in her underwear immediately, of course. And yet, it totally worked because she's 10 feet tall. Right. Which is why she looks good as Wonder Woman, right? She's 10 feet tall and really confident and aggressive in that scene. And, and Fisher just sort of melts. And again, in some other project, Fisher would be the one that's making someone uncomfortable, right? Right. And she's not unattractive in that. No, in the she's, way she's, she's presented very in this story. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought that was super interesting. I, I was I found it aesthetically pleasing and interesting, and I hope it's funny. And Zach, uh, Zach Galifianakis looks Galifianakis. super weird, dude. He is super weird, and like you called it, he I, we've never seen him with his hair cut shorter, yeah, quite that way. We've seen him bald, but we've never seen him with like a normal guy hair and a beard. Yeah, and he's like, got like like a goatee, like a Van Dyke yeah. thing going on. And yeah, I immediately thought it was Rice Darby when I saw it. I was like, oh, sweet. And then he's talked, and I was like, oh, weird. Is that Galifianakis? After you said, so and I weird. love Galifianakis, but after you wrote that to me, now all I want is it to be Rice Darby. Because right. like many things, we've said before, Rice Darby in anything makes it 3% better. Right, right absolutely. Can you imagine that story? Or even better, can you imagine if Rice Darby was John Hamm's role? <laughs> that would be pretty fantastic. It'd be a totally different movie, but that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a thing that happened. Uh, what else? We have Justice League stuff. So, okay, let's talk Justice League. Yes. So they they flew all these journalists to London for an event. Which right. immediately, I mean, I, I have to almost feel sorry for the for the WBDC consortium because no matter what they do in the wake of BVS, it looks like it's a response. It looks like it's, you know, a deflection, right? Yeah. It's backpedaling, right? So th- this could have been planned a year ago. Right. And it, it feels like, well, it's like, whoa, 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 check it out. Everything's different, you know? Right. It's not going to be the same, you know? And and when this when the information started rolling about out about what they were showing those journalists and, and what they were allowing people to know about this far in advance, which is also a kind of a desperate measure. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit with Rogue One, I think, as well. But, um, you know, it's hard not to have a cynical eye about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's hard not to hear everything with that with that jaded feeling of like, yeah, well... You're still not Marvel, man. You right. <laughs> not that I have a preference. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> but I heard some things because, you know, one might think from the way we talk and the way we reviewed, mm-hmm. starting positive, ending negative, and then bouncing back and claiming it was sort of positive on, on our <laughs> With PBS the exception review. of Lex Luthor. No, I'm just... <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, you know, I heard, I heard things that gave me some some optimism things i liked i heard that the flash costume is made of a million different parts of pieces of things like a prototype suit that it's got 
armor on the front and a lot of veins and aerodynamic stuff flying off the back. And he's got like space shuttle heat tiles and things on him. And you right. know, like he's, he's building it in progress, trying to find something that will keep up with him. Right? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. A, yeah. I like that a lot. I like works in progress in anything. Mm-hmm. Daredevil season one, right? I love right. I love the unfinished work. Um, we also heard that uh, Batman has some weird vehicles like a dune buggy, which gives me uncomfortable Star Trek imagery. Yeah. Um, but it has a spider legs on it or something. And, and, and then we heard about a cargo, like a cargo ship that has a Batmobile in the bay and then a, and then a second floor full of weapons. And then a third right. pop, like a pop-up cockpit in the back where Batman and Alfred drive it. Very inexplicably. Um, <laughs> and yet, it, and, and it's something I wrote about for our, for our sweet, sweet robot dash com site. Mm-hmm. If you imagine manga or anime designs written down, like described, you ask one on the street, tell me what you see, and they wrote it out, it would sound like that, right? Right. And then if you looked at it, you'd be like, that's the coolest, like a Masamune Shiro designer. I mean, you'd be like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that's true. Right? And so it's all going to be about the production you know, of, of those designs and whether they make them rad or if they make them look like Wild Wild West or something yeah. horrible. Right? So it could go either way. I choose to be optimistic. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about Batman being remorseful and wanting redemption and being more positive. And I don't know about, I don't think we really need to backpedal that fast. No, I don't think we do uh, either. It really doesn't make any sense to me. One sort of positive suggests that the storyline of that movie is him getting the band together and, you know, clicking on the links in his little email. Yes. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's him and one woman together working together, which is fine. And then that it's the ab- and that Superman is still buried, which is that all sounds fine to me. Yeah, because yeah, I'm okay I, with I, that. Yeah, you know, I like the idea of the building of the Justice League without Superman being the primary driver of it. I like the idea that the Justice League is Batman and Wonder Woman driven. Yeah, and when he comes back, he will be joining them, but he's not necessarily leading them. Right. Hopefully, I don't know. Theoretically, yeah. Maybe, yes, possibly. I mean, he's still going to be the prettiest man in the room. He's going to be the, certainly <laughs> the most roided out one. <laughs> Although, we, I don't know, J.K. Simmons. Uh, 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 <laughs> I so I read some stuff after that. Yeah. So the video, so the Instagram photos came out, and he's he's lifting weights, and he's just completely yoked, and he's sixty something. Right. But then I read some other stuff that said that he's actually just a he's just a gym hound. So, so what I've heard is that he, he just has always been like that. He just doesn't dress to show it off kind of thing. Which is admirable, right? I mean, yeah, right. Thing. Uh, nonetheless, it's really easy to imagine an environment where we're going to see some sort of post-apocalyptic future dark side invasion stuff where yeah. he's running on John McClane style with no shoes on. I'd be could, totally could okay with that. Yes. Um, but, of course, the most important piece of Justice League news we heard this week is that our man... Uh oh, God, Christopher Hebju. Yeah, that's actually been debunked already Man. about six hours ago. Yeah, the Christopher you Hebju. didn't delete it from the Hebju. Yeah, yeah, I just saw it. Um, yeah, he uh, apparently had been asked for to be in a role in Justice League slash Aquaman as some sort of Atlantean king, but he turned the role down. You know what? It was all we were all just we're we're uh we're testing our listeners right now. Yeah. 
Totally knew that. Christopher is how you pronounce his name. Ah, but so this is another example where if you add him to a, a project, it's 3% better. Absolutely. So by yeah. extension, it's now 3% worse than it could have been. Yes, instantly. But I still... I still have a hard time seeing Fast and the Furious 8 as 3% better. But he does play the villain in that, which Dude. sounds really intriguing to me. Dude. Between him and Massandra in that yes. little cast photo. That photo made me want to actually go back and rent these movies and watch them, which I've always <laughs> ignored them all. I play racing games even. I like cars jumping right. fire and whatever. And, and I've never seen any of these movies, and now I want to see them... Just because Gal Gadot was in it, and right. these guys are going to, yeah. Well, they have a pretty solid group of kind of featuring guest stars in those shows. Because Luke Evans was the villain in one of them. <laughs> uh, it seems like Statham's in one of them. Someone bald. Was. Yeah, some bald guy that kicks. Some bald sure. kicking man. <laughs> now I just want to start a movie and just have Jason Statham be in it and just call it Bald Kicking Man. You know, when 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 Transporter came out, I thought that movie was something that, like, someone just made it for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I just, like, driving, I like driving fast and, 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 and being bald and being cool, because that describes me <laughs> to a T. And then when he breaks off bike, he breaks off bike pedals and then starts doing this oil, this oil martial arts attack melee right. thing where he's in some sort of clipped-in pedals and beating people up with bike parts. I said, well, clearly they made it for me. <laughs> They're like, oh, my God, someone's filming Tom. There were women in trunks. Yes. I mean, it was my life. <laughs> I, and you often have a woman in the trunk. Of course, she climbs back there, and then she anyway. – Is that the one in the garage or the one in the back of your car? Just the one in the back of my car, and it's my daughter. <laughs> Don't talk about my daughter. Don't even imagine my daughter that way. You put your daughter in a trunk? She put herself in the trunk. Is that what you mean by putting she... her to bed? <laughs> and she'll like it. Does she live in some sort of fancy coffin? <laughs> There's insulation in that car. <laughs> so speaking of being put to bed and liking it, what about that first, like, full-on official Westworld trailer? Shit, that looks good. Does that not look amazing? Man, it looks whining. good. Do not whine about your HBO credentials. Yes. Not being able to see it, you'll see it. I need to find a way. But I cannot get wrap my head around. I didn't see the first movie I, or the movie I just know of it. Mm-hmm. But I just can't wrap my head around the idea that they took that premise and not only made it seem feasible, but made it look amazing. Right. Right. Yeah, it looks fantastic, and like the mix between the the western aspect and the future aspect, it looks really like strikingly different between the two. And yeah, I'm super excited about that. This is kind of a um, maybe maybe an aged reference to back when I actually watched a few music videos, but a lot of the future stuff looks straight out of like Chris Cunningham music videos from back in the day. Yeah. Do you know yeah, who that I can is? See that. You know yeah, what I'm talking about the 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 fly over the eyeball and then the the really stark uh, fluorescent lighting and right. all the sleek ceramics and things. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah, yeah, I think it looks really great. I what is that October? Yeah, I think so. Not soon enough, that's for sure. Nice. Maybe it'll give us time to burn off of Suicide Squad and then roll right <laughs> into that. Seems like there's something else in October I'm excited about besides Halloween, but I don't recall what. Oh, yeah, don't we do Ape in October? That's what you're excited about. Ape! 
Um, so, and then also E3 happened and there was a lot of game announcements, far too many to discuss, I don't think, but the one that you brought to my attention that was really neat was the zombie game. Yeah. Uh, days, day, fuck, I don't remember what it was called. I love when we prepare. Days Gone is what you it's called. You wrote it down, zombie game. <laughs> it oh, I meant to go that back and look that up and then I kind of spaced that. <laughs> Now you're going to tell me they canceled that game, right? No, no. Days Gone is still active. Uh, yeah, that game looks intense. I watched that gameplay stuff. And apparently, so you heard that other podcast, and they were talking about the fact that they introduced the game at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then they showed gameplay live at the end, and people thought it was incongruous, but it was uh, presumed to be a last-minute switch because the Rockstar folks couldn't right. show up right after the Orlando shootings, which is really tragic and right. I suppose understandable, but... In the in the gameplay, what I thought was so immersive about it was that he just seemed so believable. Yeah, his yeah. Ca- the, the character was making comments and acting in a way that it it really had that creepy feeling that, frankly, a lot of these games now, uh, these these first person sort of adventure games feel like where it's just just creepy the hell out while you're playing it. Yeah, just feels, and then you add the VR component that they're bringing into some of these games, and. Uh, yeah. Well, the music in particular nice. seemed super powerful for that. Like they had a live orchestra totally. playing and it felt like like scary and intense watching that gameplay trailer as these zombies swarmed him and it I, the music was excellent in it. How dope was it that the one Hells Angels guy that was chasing the other Hells Angels guy fell through the roof or whatever and landed on the ground and broke his leg? Yeah. And then the horde and then the horde came after him, and so he's screaming. The guy, your your player character, runs away, and then he's screaming as he's overtaken. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, I thought it looked great. I'm I. I have no idea when I'm getting a PlayStation Four, but I definitely want to get that game when I do because it looks fun as hell. Breaking your leg in front of a zombie horde is sort of the, it's it's the zombie movie version of cutting yourself in the water when the sharks are around. You know? <laughs> right. Like you're doomed instantly. Don't. <laughs> you know, and we should mention this because, I mean, because, but The Shallows is a movie that I thought was just going to be oh, garbage yeah. from beginning to end. It seemed like just generic, a generic thing. And then I watched those trailers, and it's not just because Blake Lively looks amazing right. in it, but it looks really intense. It's yeah, like hard it really to believe that they can make a shark movie that is intense today after all of the, what, what they ruined with the Jaws movies, right? Yeah, these days, yeah, there's there's only certain things that you can really do with a shark in a summer movie and not be completely derivative of Jaws and its 74 sequels. But... This the premise looks... that they've set up with her stuck on that island, yeah. that little mini little outcropping, bleeding, and then the buoy. And then I love those images where she's on it and you can see the shark circling and it's massive. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the bottom line is, yes, she's attractive and tall and athletic, but somehow she looks like she's an athletic woman that was out surfing right. and it's happened to her. She looks physically like she could be doing the things that her character is doing in a way that's believable to me. Unlike a lot of movies where they, you know, they put the attractive person in some circumstance <laughs> and they just have the abilities that they have. Right. right? She looks right for it. Yeah. Somehow. She looks capable of being a surfer and that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. We'll yeah. Take it. So that was the shallows. Okay. So that's a lot of news items. We need to get to the main event. Yeah, man. 
What are we? What's our main event? The review. Has a real shiny blue suitcase, Ark of the Covenant, Maltese Falcon sort of vibe. Game of Tolls. Da, 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 da. So we have a lot of ground to freaking cover here, man. All right, let's do it. So I think we need to do like we did before, just hit all of the different places. And I don't think... So here's my thing. I think that anybody that's listening to this saw these episodes. I don't think we need to recap it so much. No. Let's just talk about how sweet it was or whatever. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Yeah, I if think... you haven't seen the episodes, there will be spoilers here. But yeah, I don't think there's any need for us to necessarily like bit by bit describe them because if you're listening to our reviews of Game of Thrones, you're probably watching the show prior to listening to them. If and, we and, are your and... only Game of Thrones source, <laughs> send us a message. We can probably point you in a better direction. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I have to say if there was ever a time when I would, you know, I would say, if you haven't watched it, go stop this and go watch it. It's going to be this last episode because, yeah. you know, in season after season, the ninth, ep- ninth episode, ninth episode, the second, the second to last episode has always been the money episode that they have a big thing happen. And then they have the cliffhanger fall out from it in the finale. I don't think we've had anything like this one. I don't think I've seen anything like this anywhere before in a lot of this ways. The Battle of the Bastards. I mean, this was not just intense from the narrative standpoint of watching this build up over seasons coming to a head and not and it wasn't just impressive being a TV production that they right. could get that much out of their budget. It was impressive on a cinematic level. I haven't seen Absolutely. I haven't seen a sequence of infantry based war in a movie right. that was as chilling as this. There were scenes in Saving Private Ryan. They, they give me nightmares still, right? Mm-hmm. With the stabbing of the guy and all that. But, but this was this was the new limit on what I've seen. And then Fury, a lot of stuff in Fury was pretty intense. But mm, yeah. this was the new limit in terms of in just the the space madness of infantry fighting. Yeah, and the way they they the infantry, the cavalry, the the arrows hailing from the sky and just impaling anyone around and just the the pure mental fuckery that happened before the attack. It's just such a solid episode. Well, and and of course we'll go into more detail, but you know, they 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 they've admitted, they've talked to talked about the fact that they modeled that sequence off of um or at least their their changes to the to the shooting script when they ran out of time Mm -hmm. they took inspiration from carthage and the surround and the pincer attack of shielded shield and pike forces against infantry and then tightening the noose on them right so that was actually a last minute change which completely ruled that whole battle scene right but on, but on top of that, um, you know, we've we've seen imagery in, in stories about uh, people being trampled to death in concerts and people being trampled to death in uh, emergency scenarios where the doors are locked and everyone's scrambling to try to get out of a burning nightclub or whatever. And we've read stuff about people describing horrible things in like World War One where they were climbing uh, ramparts of bodies and all that. But the the imagery of Jon Snow being uh suffocated yeah by panicked wildlings was incredibly powerful oh man it was intense. as an asthmatic it was killing me right? yeah yeah it was so claustrophobic and oh yeah it was like terrifying honestly and what an antithesis to all of the sword 
sword rattling and 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 hero yeah soft light hero action that you're expecting from Jon <laughs> Snow and, and he's you know, he makes a series of tactical blunders emotional responses and then gets almost buried alive right so okay but where do you want to start well let's let's go ahead and start with episode seven for the most part because they didn't really overlap much between the two all right so where what, uh, let's let's go ahead and let's dive into River Run. Okay. And by the way, where where is Clegane? Because I couldn't. I wrote Clegane because I don't know where he was. The <laughs> game world. Well, Clegane, uh, he he axed some people in this episode. Yeah, but where? But like, I don't know where on the map he is. Oh, he's uh, he's north of River Run, but south of Winterfell. So Got he's it. kind of in the middle area there. Let's start with him. Let's okay, do let's do that. So, so, so it, it, when we last recorded, it was the it was the one shot with yeah. Ian McShane, which right. was of course, which of course ended very brutally and 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 shockingly. And he takes the axe and walks off, and you wonder what's right. going to happen. And so now we see him. It it was a, it was one of a series of, I don't want to say anticlimactic the way some people are saying, but certainly scenes that went a different direction than you think they're going to go. Yeah. In these last two episodes, he goes out on the run after these guys. He kills the first four or whatever that he finds. Right. And then, you know, in these wonderful uh, physics defying, I know he's the big guy we talked about, but these physically defying, <laughs> physics defying uh, axe cleaves. That yeah, they were pretty great. Split though. the body in half and all this, whatever. Right. But, but then he runs, he, he meets up with uh, the, the, you know, remember we were talking about it. Are the Brotherhood overrun with right. chaos? Or they lost control. Are they just nomads at this point, just ravaging? And he runs up with Barrack, mm-hmm. and they've caught him already. Right, yeah, they, they have the other three strung up with nooses around their neck. And that was kind of odd to me. I don't know if that was just something where the Brotherhood didn't sanction their act- actions, or if they were like, oh, well... Well, that's what they said, certainly, that they just caught them and were committing right. them to death because they had been, you know, running loose. Uh, I just think it was really interesting that it's Barrack because given uh, Clegane's history with him. Right. His bloody history. Yeah. And I th- I liked that conversation that they had quite a lot. It was Clegane being Clegane and people trying almost like dealing with a pissed off dog kind of thing where they like gave him what he wanted but not everything he wanted because you know you've got to rein him in in some manner. It was murder negotiation. I loved it. Yeah. And 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 also that is a different Clegane though. Even though he's come back from his his minute and a half of a, of attempting a peaceful life, he's certainly <laughs> not just plowing through. I mean, you know, the Clegane of a couple of seasons ago would have just come through and slashed all those guys and the guys that were guarding right. him. Wouldn't have, uh, yeah, he wouldn't have even discussed enough, terms. Yeah, to be weary enough to negotiate. I thought that was very uh, entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it almost seems like, I mean, we don't know, but it almost seems like at the end he's semi-joining the Brotherhood yeah. uh, against the North, and it, or uh, against the, the, the Well, they the have wild. chickens. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about it was just great. I mean, and then what's-his-name is drunk again, and I don't know. So it went a different way than I thought it would, and I thought it was entertaining. Yeah. So, okay, so that's that's Clegane. Yeah, so let's, let's slide south River to River Run. Where Jamie has arrived, and basically, yeah, a little bit of a siege action going on. They're 
This scene went the way I wanted it to go, and it was entertaining, but it was a little it was a little anticlimactic to me. But see, that's what I enjoy about the show when it circumvents what you think is going to be a big thing, and it goes in a direction that is different than what you're expecting. Right. I like. I thought it was a. I thought it was fairly emotional mm-hmm. and complex, particularly. I mean, it was a showcase for Jamie and how. Yeah. Uh, how what's his name portrayed him? Because I thought, um, I thought it was really interesting that this guy. I mean, in the same scene, he's gonna let her Brienne pass through the blockade or the siege, go up into the castle, attempt to convince uh, Blackfish of this of this abandonment of the mm-hmm. of the of the property, and. He's going to let her get away and all that stuff. He lets her keep the sword and all this emotional stuff. And it's the side of him that we like to see. Right. As an anti-hero protagonist, right? Because he is. He is a sympathetic but but horribly evil sympathetic character on the show. Mm-hmm. And then, in the same breath, he is threatening to pitch babies. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's it, like this weird tenderness that he has with Brienne that he doesn't exhibit elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought that part of it was really interesting. I, I was disappointed that Blackfish was like, there's room in that rowboat, but eh. Yeah. Know. Yeah. And that was probably my one real, like, anticlimactic moment for me was that they they killed him off screen. They couldn't have even coordinated a quick little sword fight for him kind of thing. There were two scenes in that episode that felt like, like, at the time you're watching it, you're like, what are they, they ran out of money? Yeah. Like, it was that, and of course, Daenerys at the end of the episode, you're like, huh? Right. You know, like, was this a play we're watching? Right? <laughs> but at the same time, at least his his statement that he's old and tired of running. Yeah. I bought that. I mean, I've seen that in other formats and other genres of storytelling, and I get it. Usually with people resigned to their fate kind of thing. Yeah. But yes, you're right. From a narrative standpoint, like, dude, just jump in the boat. Yeah. <laughs> you had something. Yeah. Jump on the other the hand, boats. but but on the other hand, it could be argued that him running up the stairs and like no one those those soldiers don't know that Brienne and Potter down there, right? So him running up and doing giving them what they're looking for, that is how they got away. Yeah, honestly, so realistically, that's absolutely the case. Because had he not gone up and stopped them before they got down and saw the rowboat tooling away as Pod rose, rose, rose's boat, uh, there's. Yeah. There's no way they wouldn't have gone after him. Whereas the way it played out, Pod and Brienne got away. They had their cute little wave with Jamie at the ramparts. But yeah, if he'd gotten in the boat with them, then there would have been this whole chase scene and people would have shot arrows at him and everything else. I just think that they could have gotten just a tiny bit of swordplay out of the Blackfish, at least for that. (laughs) We never saw anything. (laughs) Um, So uh, Brienne in the rowboat, Okay, dude, I don't know if it's directly out of Excalibur. I haven't watched it in recently enough to know for sure. But some point in my young childhood, I had this mental image. Maybe it was that or maybe I was reading about something. But I remember having vivid images in my mind of – I know this was definitely Excalibur. It was learning about how they had to bring soldiers in plate mail. They had to hoist them. Mm in a hoist, get the horse under them and then hoist them down on, then they release the hoist, get them down on the horse because they were so heavy. Right. And, right. I, and, and I'm pretty sure there's imagery in Excalibur that supported this, but I remember becoming, uh, obsessed with the idea that if a, 
if a warrior in or a knight in plate mail fell over, they were doomed. It's like a, it's like the tortoise on their back thing. Mm-hmm. And then you're dealing with in shallow water, they're going to drown in shallow water because they can't right. get up. Right? right. And so, and I use that in D and D campaigns. Like I, I tortured my players with that sort of thing. <laughs> so anyway, in the scene when Brienne's in a rowboat, <laughs> like, eh? and I just looking at that, and all I'm thinking is, get out of the boat, get out of the boat, get out of the boat. <laughs> That boat tips. Don't even like center of gravity. Just don't even move. Don't wave because right. you're gonna tip over. Put the sword in the center because she's gonna drown. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so that freaked me out. <laughs> I think she'll be okay. No man. Another thing that freaked me out is that Jamie says something like the things we do for love. Yes, he uses Ed, the exact right? quote. Yeah, and so that goes goes right back to when we first learned just how effed up the, right. the, the Lannisters really are, right? With Bran. Which That's is interesting brand. because honestly, like at this point in the books, Jamie doesn't really do anything for Cersei at this point. Like oh. they don't they've they fought and argued and the, the love aspect has kind of been dropped almost entirely. I really like the I like the relationship that they've that they've written into the into this season particularly, but that they've written into the show. Yeah. I like the idea that it's, they're so resigned to it now that they even admit it, that they right. even, that they're, they're just, he, it's like, he's, I don't even care anymore. Right. It is what it is. Don't yawn, man. <laughs> you need to drink more of that Schlitz or whatever it is. Your, your two ninety nine beer. Yeah. Nothing like drinking cheap beer to keep you awake. And alert. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So river, run. but anyway, so it was a siege that ended, um, and not, not entirely in the kind of bloodbath that you think it's going to be. Although right. the poor captain of the guard being forced to let uh, his, his master in and then immediately be told surrender. And then it's like, right. Oh. It went exactly as you thought it was going to go. And it was just tragic to see. Yeah. And it but, was still but, a, a clever way of Jamie doing it in a way that did not actually cause like virtually any bloodshed. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And, you know, all he wants to do is get home. Right. Hurry. Right. He's right. just like, so, I'm done with this shit. I don't want to deal with it. Take care of it. <laughs> so do you want to talk about King's Landing or Bravos or what do you want to do? Let's go to King's Landing. All right. I choose violence. <laughs> that line coming right off of uh, that combined with uh, Rogue One's, you know, this is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. Right. Th- those two that came close enough together that I link them in my mind. <laughs> But so now we see the content. What? Don't smack me, bro. I got mosquitoes. We're in different, state. We're in different states. Mosquito. <laughs> so we see the context of that line that we saw in the preview. Right. And by the way, I didn't see the preview of the finale because I really wanted to go in maybe surprised at what I saw. But uh, they do a good now job we understand. not showing anything. But yeah. Oh, good. Um, but anyway, so that was a scene of Cersei, again, being as short-sighted in the game as Jon Snow is, right? Right. So she so she she blew her wad with with the mountain early and lo- and then subsequently directly lost trial by combat. Right. That. What a disaster. Yeah. I mean it was, a, it was an exciting scene. I like to see Faith Militants being uh Mortal Kombat <laughs> style head and spinal column removal. <laughs> but at the same time I don't know. Yeah, that was she her just screwed herself. Yeah, more. there's no way that that outcome did anything but hurt her. On the other hand, she never would have imagined even even seeing how the fix is in. I don't think she ever would have imagined that uh, that Tommen would 
would be so cornered right. or so delusional about what he needs to do that he would sacrifice it like that. Like so, directly modify something that's so ingrained in the world of Westeros where that that whole trial by combat thing is... Right. I'd say that's a tremendous thing for them to suddenly be like, nope, we're not doing that anymore. So I read some stuff online where people were bitching about how this was just the shocking, shockingly unfair thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, though... Trial by combat wasn't fair either. No, so, not at all. Yeah, being judged by this by the by the faith militant versus being judged, you know, or being whatever your guilt or innocence being resolved by combat is, you know, neither of them are fair. Right. It's just he changed the rules in a way that this particular character gets screwed. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I have a couple of comments based on things I read that I thought were interesting. Here's one. Um. Which is, what's the end game on the trial for Cersei? Because in order to find Cersei guilty of uh, incest, mm-hmm. that's what they're going after her for, right? Well, technically speaking, is they're it... going after her for sleeping with her cousin, Lancel. Hmm. Okay. That's the only that's... thing that they've specifically gone after her for in the the faith. Okay, well... Tough, tough nuts for Cersei because yeah, because he's right there hanging out. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's the thing is that um, someone had commented, someone had made a comment in one of the reviews I read that they said, well, if they find her guilty, then that invalidates Tommen's uh, hold on the throne, right. which in turn invalidates the Faith Militants' alignment with the throne. Oh yeah, uh, which puts them in, in, in makes them more unstable. But like you say, it's it's not. It's not that yet. Right. It's yeah, they're they're not holding her for having sex with Jamie. They're holding her for having sex with her cousin Lancel. So people are disappointed that the trial by combat has been uh well, they were disappointed at the time that episode aired because they figured that they lost their opportunity for Clegane Bowl. Right. <laughs> hoping that it was gonna be Clegane versus Clegane. But we now know, of course, that, that um that uh, that the hound is theoretically headed to do some uh, yeah, white he's water up North. It sounds like so. Yeah. So, um, what about end games as far as Jamie going back to? So we have this 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 um, powder keg in King's Landing. So yeah, done in River Run. He's coming back to support his sister. Do you and think he's, he's brand- going back south? Well, he's gonna. Why wouldn't he? I don't know. I just I kind of got the vibe that maybe he's just going to take off north or something, go up to the battle up there or something. I don't know. I think that he only he was desperate not to leave, and then she said, "Go do the bidding of the king." Right. Come Def- back with an army. Empty, empty the castle, and you've now proven your command of the army. Now you come back with the army, and they're under your control. No, that so makes I sense. Think he's, but he's heading back with the army, and so he's going to come back into an environment where his lover is going to be. Uh, put on trial, and his son is complicit, mm-hmm. and no one's no no Lannister is in charge of anything, right? Except for what's his name, the uncle who's doesn't you know whatever. Kevin. And then what's it? What's his name again? Kevin. Kevin Lannister. So you know he's he's fucked because his name is Kevin. Kevin. Um. <laughs> so then, so so of course you know it's like what's going to happen? We've got the dragon fire involved, right. and we've got. Know a, a rebellion against the faith militant that's imminent, but then you also have a large military force that's going to arrive. 
And I read one. I read one that I wanted to read to you that I thought was pretty interesting. This guy says, "I I propose this. Jamie does reach her in time and fails to talk her out of it, meaning the dragon fire attack. Right. Draws his sword, prompting Zombie Mountain to fight him. In the course of the fight, Tommen is struck and killed, fulfilling the prophecy about Cersei's children. Mm. Jamie, distracted by grief, is run through by Zombie Mountain. <laughs> After seeing all this, now a totally insane, nothing left to live for, Cersei detonates the city, hoping to kill herself and everyone else in the blast. <laughs> and that is such a that is such a Shakespearean third yes, act moment. It is. It. Wow. I want to see that just because it's so dramatic. <laughs> Hopefully. Anyway, so I do want to see a bunch of uh, priests being burned by dragon fire. And that's ironic because in, uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, I was always a cleric <laughs> because, you know, fighter with spells, right? <laughs> I was an atheist <laughs> cleric, you know. Anyway, <laughs> that's King's Landing. Anything else going on there that we need to talk about? Not really. I mean, they're kind of in a holding pattern until <laughs> the last episode, I think, for the most part. I mean, a few things happened, setting things up, but... Aside from the no more trial by combat, not much really happens there. All right, so here's a side question then. So what happens if she lights King's Landing on fire? Is it possible that Daenerys, when she invades, would abandon King's Landing as the, as the, uh, I don't know, the, 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 the capital of... The head of the monarchy? I don't know. It's, right. you know, honestly, I don't know that that's necessarily Cersei's goal. No, I wouldn't I be surprised if her goal isn't just to burn the, the, the sept down yes. and just yes. obliterate it from the face of the earth kind of thing. Sure. Um, as far as Daenerys and her plans, it's hard to tell. Honestly, like, like if of anyone with Tyrion hooked up with Daenerys like this, I could see them possibly doing something a little more... Well, you guys are each your own country, and I'm just kind of the figurehead type thing. I don't know. It's interesting. This is probably a good segue into Marine, but um, I've struggled for seasons now imagining Daenerys' endgame because she has spent almost the entirety of her young adult life Mm -hmm. in exile with with this abstract drive to take back to take back the throne of her father right. and, re- and recapture Westeros for the Targaryens, even though, as far as she knows, she's the last Targaryen. Right. right? And also, she's been in exile and living in these nomad nomad environments and all these really exotic places, and she's going to come back and, what, sit on the Iron Throne? Yeah. Like, it's such, an, it's such a, um, a conceit in stories that are based on medieval Europe. Yeah, it's such a weird, like, fairy tale ending thing in her head. Right. That when you look at it from a practical standpoint, it's not very logical. Well, because, you know, if you imagine various kings in medieval Europe, they wanted, you know, so it was consolidation of of empires and it was about, you know, gathering larger amounts of resources in order to further your hold, the stability of your reign, which means more product, more tax, more stuff coming in, more, and and also more security, right? Mm -hmm. And because it was a system that was already in place, I'm going to sit in the same place, I'm going to have more, you know, wonderful things around me, and less risk that someone's going to take it from me until I die at age 30 from (laughs) boobos or something, right? Right. 
But here's someone who's spent her entire life out of the system. Right. So she's been in what's the equivalent to the Mediterranean and Africa, right? In, mm-hmm. in, in the parlance, right? So she's, she hasn't lived in an environment where she's sitting around being fed cake. No. Since she was a baby. So it's hard for me to imagine after everything she's been through that she really wants to go back and sit on the throne. It's to me, right. it's all about getting it. Not it's the dog chasing the, the car. Well, and, and even Heath, Heath when she's had some semblance of ruling going on, that's the part that she fucking despises. It's right. the parts where people come bureaucracy. up and entreat her. And yeah, the bureaucracy crap. That's the part that she is the worst at. And it, doesn't make sense that, that that she's so excited about getting to that aspect. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, she's that's a character. I'm not, she's fairly complex in the sense that she doesn't follow a particular line of of narrative, right? I mean, right. she's strong and she's weak. She's smart and and stupid. She's strategic and naive. However, it's a character that it's hard to imagine. You know, and I think about from the perspective of writing. Mm-hmm. Listening to that screenwriting podcast, it's got me in this this mindset where I have to rationalize some of the things that I enjoy and try to understand the motivations behind these characters. Frankly, it's hard to imagine this character being happy. She's being she's been formed right. in a in an environment where you know she came to maturity, hating what happened to her family, hating what was taken from her, feeling this this humiliation of exile feeling completely vulnerable, particularly with the Dothraki, and then somehow yeah. managing to take control and getting some power. And now it's thuggery, right? Right. And that whole sequence, and we'll, we could talk about this now, but the whole sequence about Tyrion pointing out that she and he both come from families where their fathers were sadistic leaders who did terrible things, and they right. both have the propensity to be them, be their parents, and they're both acting that way. Yeah. He's pointing at her. He's saying, "You, you, you're proposing to go and kill every slaver that's around, and you know <laughs> your your scorched earth theory sounds an awful lot like your father." At the same time, I'm looking at Tyrion and I'm thinking, "Well, let's see. When I think of Tywin, he was a manipulative mm-hmm. right hand man who was responsible for a lot of live or die. <laughs> so there's not a lot of difference between the two. No, there's really not, other than height. So, which is." <laughs> A, yeah. An interesting component of the marine stuff. But let's talk about that. So in the first one of the two, we had her gone and a fragile piece. And Tyrion, that wonderful scene where he's trying to get uh, Masandra and uh, what is his name? Grey Worm? Grey Worm and Masandra. To tell jokes. Yeah. To drink, to tell jokes. Yeah. <laughs> God. It was, it was almost like fan fiction, that thing, that whole scene. But It, it was really was, fun. yeah. It was fun, though. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I I read a lot of negative things online about people who are like, meh, meh, move the story kind of thing. But those are the same people that complain when the story moves too fast at the same time. And I really enjoyed it. I thought that kind of acting, that weird, like, understated, just dialogue sitting in a room stuff, you don't see in this type of, this type of TV show. And I love it when it happens. I think it's really interesting that Tyrion's personality, that he's been stuck. He's stuck in a room. And he's with people that are completely different than him in terms of his vices. They're <laughs> right. like, they're chased and they're not drinking. Yes. And they're serious and they're freaked out about things. And the <laughs> idea that he would sit there and can whittle them down by bugging them to tell stories and try the wine and whatever else. And then it culminates in this sort of 
sly cleverness of the Grey Worm and also the, the frankly, admittedly just delightful Melisandre <laughs> getting giggly, you know. Yeah. Um, that whole sequence was great. And then, of course, you know, it, it was broadcast pretty heavily that he's like, a fragile piece. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, right. Explosions. They need a they need better lighthouses because those ships got right there. Before yeah, they got up right up there. in them guts. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, anyway, how did you feel about the Marine stuff? Uh, I it made sense, honestly. Why wouldn't the the masters be like, "Fuck this little dude and the non-existent queen"? Let's go take our slaves back. And like the the whole Daenerys walking in at the end of the scene, oh, mom's home part was a little on the goofy side. I felt like they could have handled that a little differently, but didn't you feel like you're like, what? Did they run out of money? Right. right? Like yeah. all of they had that scene where they're where they're firebombing the, the, the city and it looked great and then you, you see the dragon in the distance and then all of a sudden it's like enters enters the stage left yeah. there. And no dialogue. She just shows up and goes. Yeah, Whoa. yeah. I feel like if they'd had like three lines of dialogue right there, that scene wouldn't have felt as awkwardly silly as it did. It felt really weird and then obviously it turns hundred and eighty degrees in the next episode, but Yes. Yeah. Uh, so here's a question for you. Do you think Dorn is going to show up either in the finale or in the next season and align themselves with Daenerys? I Dorn. really don't know what Dorn has going on for it right now. And honestly, I'm not sure whether Daenerys is going to be in Marine in the next season. I'm really well, agree, but... assuming she's going to be headed across the ocean by the end of episode 10. But it's interesting, though, that we've left, you know, there have been a lot of changes to the Dorne storyline from the books, I understand. But it's interesting to me that Dorne has just been left. Just It's the big matzo ball floating in there, right? Like you know, no, the weird thing, there. though, is that, like, like, even in the books, Dorne has always felt like this weird extra side story that doesn't have anything to do with the main plot. And in this, in the show itself in particular, it's felt like that for me since day one. Like... Every aspect of what they've done has just been like a weird peripheral side story thing. Well, and it's frustrating because so much of the imagery of Dorne being Mediterranean, it has callbacks to the the lure of the Crusades, which sucked right. all the resources and led to the Dark Ages and or led to many of the issues in the Dark and Middle Ages. And then also the the imagery of just all the real Earth history in East Asia. Yeah. It has that component to it like you're gonna spread into that and get sucked into it and not be prepared for it and be completely screwed yeah and and then it didn't and and as much as people were upset with the sand snakes and the whole <clears throat> you know the whole uh betrayal of of their leader and their father or uh what's her name's husband what's his name uh uh God, what is his name those names are so similar i lose track Bashir. Let's say he's Bashir. Yeah, so, sure, Bashir. <laughs> I liked everything about that as much as I was disappointed that it happened and that the big bodyguard was instantly killed and he right. was killed. Everyone seemed pissed. And the, and, and the Sand Sneaks wrote, I don't know, sailed the sea and got on the ship and killed Apparently. the Apparently, yeah. Or whatever. But the bottom line was I still want the door. I want the whole Dorn plot to come in. There's such a a seething hatred of Lannisters that mm -hmm. I want them to come in kind of like the 
the forces of the veil. I mm-hmm. want them to come in at the wrong time and just ruin <laughs> Lannister plans. You know, like I want I want to see something from that. And I like the idea after seasons of watching Daenerys slowly, slowly build, right. build a plan and then lose her people and then build again and then make it <laughs> get mired in slavery issues and whatever. I like the idea she's slowly starting to accumulate resources, building momentum. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to imagine that possibly Dorne would be involved, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, but it's anyway, possible. So. I There's a part of me that really feels like Dorne may not come back into it in any kind of significant manner. And I kind of feel like Euron and the the rest of the Krakens up there their story's kind of superfluous at this point as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, so I, uh, one thing I really thought was poignant was that Tyrion, when he was talking with them about the future, and he was asking about what you imagine for the future, whatever, he made those comments that he imagines that he would retire from everything that's been happening and make a vineyard. Yeah. Like go have a vineyard set up and he would make a wine called the imps delight, but he wouldn't sell it. He'd only give it to his friends. And it was such an incredibly nostalgic, sympathetic moment. It really was for a guy that was never intended or imagined himself to be leading people and running a bureaucracy and surviving the kinds of things he's done. Nothing in his recent past. Right. From the, the, the trip to the east, you know, in a in a crate to, you know, <laughs> shooting his father the crossbow to having his his slave lover murdered to all the stuff that he experienced. It was such a strange moment. I love images like that where mm-hmm. some warrior or someone that's in the middle of it says, you know, I'd like to retire on a farm. And with the exception of Jean-Luc Picard, they never do. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was such a great callback to who his character was in like the first season. He was that young guy who was overshadowed by everyone else and he just read books and traveled around like finding knowledge and stuff. And it was kind of neat to see that aspect of Tyrion kind of just peek through momentarily. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um so also the what I want to say. So we talked about the thing about the the, the the father's tyranny. It's all focused on Daenerys's lineage, but in fact, Tyrion is he's got a different motivation. Seems to be a a, gen, a kinder person, but at the same time, is experiencing. I mean, he he's following the same footsteps of his father. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, also, how about this whole thing with the Iron the Iron Islands crew showing up? They did. That was the fastest sailing in the history of this. It seemed war, like right? it was awfully quick. Yeah. Last episode, they had traveled the majority of it, and they were in Slavers Bay. Yeah. And now they're, here we are. Um, at the same time, for expediency, I didn't mind that they're just suddenly there, have an audience, and yeah, here we go. Me too. And I'm actually really glad they didn't have them like show up during the battle at the last minute, kind of thing, because they yeah. already had some of that going on later on in the episode. And it just would have felt a little cheesy and out of place. But I just liked how it went. Yeah, I did too. I liked the way that they just jumped right from other scenes to this, where it was like, okay, this is a few days later, and look who's here kind of thing. Do you um, – I mean, definitely there were some, some, some nods to the books and some, some sort of fan service with 
a bit with, of sexual like, tension. Sure, you yeah. know, like hello, you know, that whole thing. But at the same time, it 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 felt right. Uh, and and also, I love the fact I love callbacks, right? Yeah, I love that Tyrion was throwing all of Theon's jokes at him from season right. one. Oh, I remember the, how clever you were with the dwarf jokes. You know, I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I like that the season went actually the way you kind of like it. Sh- you wanted to go as opposed to being being stabbed in the side again by Game of Thrones, right? Like, yeah, you thought like as it was going, I was thinking she's going to be like, nope, dungeons, you know, feed him <laughs> to the dragons or something like that. And then she's like, sure, yeah, <laughs> deal, yeah. I don't know. It, it worked out kind of for once, anticlimactic maybe, but it just kind of worked out the way I wanted it to, and that was kind of reassuring. And that was the closest hint of what maybe Daenerys is planning on doing with, like, the, the separate kingdoms and that kind of thing out there, too, with her telling them, them they have to stop, like, raping and pillaging and being pirates kind of thing. I'd appreciate it that she thought about it for a while. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Although the, um, the, the previously on Game of Thrones sequence showed their uncle... Being all, we gotta go murder my cousins or whatever, right. whatever the hell it was. <clears throat> so, I mean, I I do hope that he's gonna get what's coming to him. Yeah, I'm wondering if there'll be some sort of sea battle on the way to Westeros with Daenerys sure, yeah, and yeah, the pirates. Yeah. He meeting up and clash. I'd be totally okay with seeing the Dothraki on boats as pirates attack kind of thing. So that's interesting for two reasons. One, we've never seen ship to ship combat in Game of Thrones. Correct. And yet we're and we're at a technological s- state that predates ships of the line and all of that broadside fighting and all that. This is really just much more like Viking style, right? Boarding parties, and ramming sort of and boarding parties. Yeah. yeah. And also the second thing that I think interesting about what you said is that I never really gave much thought to what would happen between coast to coast with the Dothraki because <laughs> you've got a bunch of barbarians on horses, you know. Who are like, definitely terrified of the ocean. I know, right? I could see this being really bad. So yeah. That's interesting. So someone uh, wrote something that I wrote down that cracked me up. They said this was one of these uh, – their broke broken sentence comments, but it said Danny and Yara, I support no Danny and Yara, comma, I support it, comma. This is how you build ships, guys. Quest explanation point. Ships being a play on words, right? <laughs> Shipping. Oh, clever. Eva. So okay, where do you want to go next? Well, let's go ahead and finish up Marine with the dragons, man. Oh, we skipped over God. those entirely. No, so how so it, it ends the previous episode in the most just sort of underwhelming like, <laughs> right. entry entry stage left moment and then and then we begin the big money battle the big money episode with a battle that in and of itself could have been the money battle it was for the great season. I did not expect that in this episode and it was so excellent to watch I really enjoyed it how talk about watching following the money right yeah it suddenly became so good like all of all of the dragon stuff was order of magnitude better and she climbing on her climbing on and holding on never ending story style and the way it <laughs> like moved its wing down for her to climb up oh yeah and i loved it flying real subtly in the background as the masters were talking and her just having this little bit of a sly smile on her face loved that shit i just thought i just thought everything about the way I mean, you know, basically everything about this this, this most late, most recent episode was just amazing. But it really was. Um, 
uh, dude, I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the porn of three <laughs> dragons lighting a bunch of ships on fire. There was one scene in particular that I cracked up about because I think it was Drogon, but he, he just got hovered over some ships, the guy or the ship, the guys looked up at like, whoa. And then, and then he, and it just sits there and starts blasting the ship. And it was right. like. The, the intensity of the attack of being burned alive by a dragon was so severe that their ship cracked in half. Right. <laughs> just, it didn't even like I expected they would at least have it land, like crush it with a tail. Or something, but it just went. <laughs> well, I just I love the fact that they've they've made Daenerys kind of that person who's like, screw the democracy shit. You do that, Tyrion. I'm off to ride dragons and shoot pirates with fireballs. <laughs> Well, yeah, because she's tried all these other things. Yeah. She wanted to be loved. She wanted to be peaceful. She wanted to be a righteous ruler that people would follow because they believed in her. And she's gradually come around at this point to the realization, well, I actually have to just. Yeah, I don't have that mindset for that. I'm not good at that part of it. I, I know what I want to happen. Little dude, make it happen. I'll be over here riding dragons. <laughs> Yeah, frankly, she just has the she has the suitcase nuke, right? I mean, that's yeah. unfortunately what's happening here is that she's got the biggest gun. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it sure is fun to watch those dragons. Hell ship yeah, it fire. is. <laughs> so, um, so that was pretty rad. Uh, and so, so in on like ten minutes time or whatever, we we had so much action that it could have been if they had set up that scene a little differently. That could have been the whole right second to last episode, right? Yeah, totally. I, I was I was struck by the fact that that ended. Before we got onto the meat of the of the of the Battle right. of the Bastards, and I was like, "Wow, that's the opening!" <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> wow, it was just amazing. Yeah, it, it felt really, really right. Was excellent. And also, how about the Grey Worm scene? I mean, that was dope. When they're like, "One of you must die," and then the two guys are like, "Well, it's that guy because he's browner." <laughs> right. And he's like, okay, slash. It kills those two. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was... so great. And we've seen that trope before, right? You know, like, you know, tell them what I did, you know, right. <laughs> Run and tell the others kind of thing. And, oh, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was just so well done. I loved, I, I really like the, the way her being drug off by Drogon gave Tyrion a chance to kind of create, he's got this little bit of an advisor structure going on with Masandi and Grey Worm and... I think she has just enough faith in him to let him kind of do the Tyrion thing. And it's kind of neat to see. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. So, that was like ten minutes into the penultimate episode. Yeah. Yeah, are we missing anything from the previous episode? Oh, uh, we probably should hit Arya before we move on to the Battle of the Bastards. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, I think we need to talk about Bravos. Yes, Bravos? let's discuss no one. So uh, I thought it was neat last episode that we learned that Lady Crane had a certain ex- – she's the good actress, mm-hmm. and yet she had a certain experience of cutting up her husband's whatever it is and <laughs> right. back together. Um, I was really – I struggled, and I don't know if this was just a something confusing in the plot or how it was directed or what, but I really did not have – alignment with Arya in this the previous episode i couldn't mm-hmm. decide whether she was testing lady crane yeah by saying what she was saying 
like I was I was all over the map with what I thought this was because remember last time I thought that Arya being stabbed that right. it was actually um her mentor right what's his name jo- Jockin Jockin that yeah. he had put that he had put the mask on and I don't know if they've ever raised I don't know how they established the mask change of the bodies shape shifting all that but whatever you know he I, I thought maybe that might be him taking the blow instead of her. But in that scene where she's she's at the the actor's camp or whatever, and she's in the bed, and she starts talking about, well, I'm planning to go as far the f away from King's Landing as possible. That's what I'm <laughs> going to do. What do you think about that? I thought that she was trying to goad Lady Crane into doing something or saying something that would reveal that she wasn't really who she said she was. Yeah. And then no, it was legit, I guess. <laughs> and then she gets completely saw style mutilated yeah by the wave i don't even know what happened she fell off the ladder and then she was pushed under the ladder Can't and then... exactly figured like it was just like this quick little bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah it looked like mutilation like she had been crushed or broken or something yeah oh terrible terrible yeah i was sad for her yes um and then the whole thing of of the waif chasing aria around so my first impression of that was that Arya was just I wanted her to just fight back I wanted her mm-hmm. to use some of her skills and I, granted she was wounded but I just wanted her to just have more of a side to this other than just be hunted right and then I started thinking about it afterwards and I started thinking wait a minute they put a lot of work into showing us all the signs like the bloody smears yes. on the wall and everything else and 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 how deliberate she was about where she was going Mm-hmm. And that made me believe that they are intending to show us that she was she was leading Waif into mm-hmm. an environment where she would have the upper hand. Yeah, I really like I feel like this particular scene is one of those things where they had it laid out and wanted it to go the certain way, but the way they filmed it made it confusing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like and maybe this is just me trying to rationalize it in a way that makes me happy about the way the whole thing played out. But to me, I feel like Arya and her traipsing around Bravos handing money to ship captains and shit was a way to kind of draw the waif out. And mm. she assumed that she would get attacked at some point by the waif. And this whole time she had this plan of getting back to Needle, swooping the candle out and killing the waif that way. But when the waif came up on her and stabbed her, it was worse than she expected. Yeah, I feel like she was. I feel like she was ambushed legitimately. Mm-hmm. I feel like she was so hell bent on leaving and optimistic about it that she didn't even that she let her guard down. And yeah. I thought that the chase. <clears throat> I thought that the chase to needle mm-hmm. was spontaneously developed. Like I think she just was like, "Well, I got to get to the only hope I have." That could be. But I think that the the groundwork of some of the blood trails and everything else were really false sense of security. I don't, I, I'm not positive about yeah. that. And, you know, and granted, yes, you cut a, a candle edge and it would still be illuminated for a little while, but I think it was more symbolic. <laughs> it was a symbolic reference. If it, it was falls like off the us. table, though, it could still be blown out as it falls. Sure. But I think it was more <laughs> like what they, it was an example again of how Game of Thrones can be fun even when they don't show you the thing. Yeah. Like Stannis. I still love the fact we never saw Stannis decapitated. Well, I really got the the vibe from Episode 7 in particular, too. Or 8, I mean, that 
they were really trying to conserve their money as much as they could to afford episode nine. Because yeah. there's a fight scene right there that didn't happen. There's the blackfish scene that didn't happen. Daenerys just kind of walks in and is like, bum, 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 kind of thing. A lot of things that would have cost money to extend the scenes just a minute or two were cut. Yeah, I think you're right. I liked the, uh, I loved, I really liked, maybe I loved, I loved that Arya stuck Wave's face Onto yeah, just scorch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously that's not how it works, but at the same time, <laughs> right. it was really so, I mean, it was just so um, re- teenage rebellion. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and Jockin's kind of half smile at her, it, it totally gave off this thing where either he was like, he got to the point where he's like, she's totally not going to pan out, this is not worth it, or this is what he wanted the whole time. And yeah. I like that little half that. smile there. Because he, you know, Dragon's relationship with her long before she started training with him, he's like, okay, I owe you, I owe you. And so I'm going to start kind of showing up and, right. and help you out. So, you know, it, it could be argued that he kind of figured he, she never would last as, yeah. as an assassin, but he was arming her. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I was intrigued by the idea that there's so many references to, you know, the gods demand a face for the wall kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that maybe he was, he knew that the waif had lost her way with her training, that she was too right. emotional, she was too jealous, and that he was setting them, he was pitting them against each other because he figured one way or the other it was going to work out. Right. And he kind of figured it would be Arya. Like, I didn't think he seemed particularly surprised that waif was defaced. No. And certainly, Waif was not doing what he told her to do. I mean, she the gut wound was very deliberate. Right. It was a suffering yeah. move. So, anyway, I, I don't know. I liked it. I liked the um, I liked the impact at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going home. Yeah, so, the end part I liked a lot. The, the whole – I felt like maybe the scene with her healing up a little bit could have been drawn out a little bit more, maybe shown that a little time had passed or something so yeah. that – yeah. She could have healed up a little more, that kind of thing. But overall, considering the time constraints they had, I thought they did a pretty good job with it. That's something that I think a lot of uh, projects have some trouble um, conveying. It's the passage of time. Yeah. Without without the narrative uh, technique of putting some you know some text up. This is like one week later. Right. You know, that sort of thing. I mean, they could have done something very quickly showing some light, some dark, some light, some dark, mm-hmm. or just showing her slowly becoming less and less um, in, you know, infirm. Or could have but, even but just been a simple it. quick cut uh, from her taking the milk of the poppy to her being woken up by the Circe actress lady, checking her bandages and being like, you're starting to heal up here. Sure. take some more or, poppy or, or the, or the, or I remember thinking at the time, Lady Crane there you go. was serving her things, and then you know we could have it could have been as simple as her. she's standing up pouring, she's making tea, right? Crane sitting in a chair, yeah. That would have told us that it had been you know a miraculous period of weeks where a medieval wound gut wound has healed without substance, <laughs> right? So anyway, that was that was Bravos. Uh, I hope we see her having some action in the finale. I don't know. I would assume so. I thought it was interesting that there was a brief line in episode 9 where Sansa mentions specifically 
that no one can protect her. Ooh, that's a good point. I didn't. And know I don't that. know if that's just sly or if that was just kind of a weird extra thing, but I did think that was kind of an interesting line. It is somewhat difficult to imagine Arya being the bodyguard for her bitchy sister. <laughs> I know it'd be kind of funny though. <laughs> Watching my kids being finally old enough to to to, to just torture each other. I'm right. So, do we want to go? Do you want to talk about Winterfell, or do you want to? Well, I think Winterfell's I all we've got last, we left, brother. <laughs> so, who would have thought that Sansa, this whole time, has been sewing Shaggy Dog's head into all of their clothing? <laughs> <laughs> the minute that head rolled i was like oh no yeah but uh yeah shaggy know. dog's head it still disappoints me i feel like it's they could so have made small. a better prop than that yeah um so of course the highlight of the entire of this penultimate episode the highlight was torment torment saying happy shitting <laughs> 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 but, I, oh, but fuck, I, I love those guys and you know what? Now, I think we have to make a commitment here and now for our 333,000 listeners that in all of our hotel visits in the remainder of the year that you and I con together that we need to write that in with a Sharpie on all of the Oh, my <laughs> God. We totally do. <laughs> marketing material in those hotels. We got to write a happy shitting. And that includes the really big stand-up yes. one that's in the lobby. The last one I was at, not the last one, but the one before that, there were three different flyers about signing up for Wyndham Rewards in the bathroom, specifically. Uh, I really, really, really enjoy moments of simple, somewhat random human interaction in Game of Thrones. So when when Brom and Pod were interacting in the previous episode... And he had that like total shipping thing where he's like, all right, <laughs> right. that whole thing. And then uh, this whole I love this whole circumstance where Tormund, this wildling Viking crazy, whatever he is, yeah. is is watching Sir Davos, a former smuggler sea guy that's on land, suddenly advising a, a, a military battle yeah. for the second time. And talking about what do you do with your your skittishness or your nervousness before a battle day, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. And I like that they didn't go the the blatant wildling route of, oh, oh I'm going to go have sex with seven wildling women and I thought party until happen. dawn. Yeah. I'm going to pull a Thor and be like, here, try some of this, you know. Right. <laughs> Knock him out. And also uh, those those shots of the campsite. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, oh, not another. Don't please tell me that Ramsey is not going to pull another one of those, like raid right. them while they sleep things. And it was really just what it was. Yeah, yeah, they they shot it really well. I liked, uh, I liked a lot of the way they did that. I liked how Davos found the the burn site of Shireen. And I'm totally confused by that. Really? So. Do you mean to tell me, Chris, do you tell me that they traveled all the way to the wall, (laughs) turned around, came all the way back to specifically the same battlefield that Stannis was fighting in, and then specifically wandered over to the pyre? Just happens. Well, they mentioned specifically at one point in it that that was where they were camping. 
Did they? Yeah, they said that they were going to camp where Stannis had camped. Again, a slight adjustment would have made a world difference to me had he looked over at, like, when he visits Melisandre or something, mm-hmm. if he had looked over and found a charred stag yeah. that she had reflect reflexively kind of recovered out <laughs> of guilt or something. Or I don't know, like, I just, to me, it felt a whole lot like the movies where someone drives out to Palm Desert somewhere, run out of gas, and they walk, you know, 50 yards and find a motorcycle. You know, like, right. a, like it was just so... It was almost as bad as the as the Knights of the Vale showing up at the right time. Like I just couldn't believe that. Yeah. But I guess if you're telling me that they established that they were camping in the same place, maybe that makes sense. It was good though. It was. I like I like yeah. seeing him see that and be like, wait a minute, because he never knew what he knew. Stannis fell, but he didn't know no, what happened to Shireen at all. He had no idea, and to see a burnt stag suggests burnt dying by fire. And there are only a few circumstances where a young yeah. noble sort of die by fire and they're not good. Well, <laughs> right? and I I like the fact, too, that he understood his situation well enough that he didn't immediately confront her. Yes. He was like, this isn't the right time. There are more important things right now. He didn't snow it, is what you're saying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a Stark. That is such a Stark thing when John just abandons everything to go after his family member. So and so do you um uh well yeah that's a thing about john that's i mean they've they've made several we even talked about it last time that she's she sewed his his kit right to further emphasize his similarity to his adopted father which i think was a strategic move but yeah it, it is true about his character though that he has the same shakespearean tragic failure of ned mm-hmm. that he he acts as if everyone else is honorable absolutely but that said, um, I thought it was interesting, the dialogue that um, when John goes to Melisandre and says, don't reanimate me. And she's like, well, and I also like that she yeah. suggested that she floated that maybe you were reanimated. I don't know if I could do it again. Maybe you were reanimated just to die on this battle. Maybe that was right. what the Lord of Light wants. And I thought that that was an interesting kind of moment of of uh, humble pie for him. Mm-hmm. He's well, Wait. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, you mean I don't have any say over this at all? <laughs> I'm just cool. That's what you're saying? <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. There was a lot of, um, I mean, from a plot point, this whole battle was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was amazing that the that their plan that they hatch to lure Ramsay's forces into a pincer attack and and the way that they had to break it down for Tormund was <laughs> Right. But at the same time... Uh, I thought it was amazing that Ram. I mean, Ramsey was much better strategist than John. Yes, but also Ramsey did what they were going to do, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not that it's not that amazing a concept on the battlefield to use cavalry to make a pincer attack. That's the right. fundamental reason for cavalry. But um, it was don't be predictable. Lure them in and then surround them. And then what does Ramsey do? Do something to throw off John, make him emotional, make him break whatever their plan was. Yeah. Expose him, which puts them all up at a disadvantage and then attack in the same way. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I also thought, thought was... it was really interesting that um, the entirety of the battle, they muddied up John out of necessity to make it realistic. But he was so covered in grime and blood and and ash and things that he was unrecognizable. Yes. And that was – to me, that was a little bit um, – uh, profound because he has been 
so well known for his looks and mm-hmm. his image and his vibe in the story. And here he was almost indistinguishable from any of the other guys with the helmets on. Right. right. And he was just covered in shit. Yeah. Um, and he did not get to do. I love that he didn't get to do sweeping swordplay that that dramatically won the day. Right. That it was very realistic. You know, it doesn't matter how good of a fighter you are. You're just a piece of meat that's being slapped around by a lot of other pieces of meat <laughs> at the same time. Yes. Yeah, um, there, I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, there were just so many aspects of this battle that were just so beautifully done. And such great callbacks to different historical methods of fighting with the shields and the piles of bodies and the way uh, Davos wasn't shooting arrows because he didn't want to hit their men, whereas Ramsey's just like, fuck it, shoot them all, kill everybody, I don't care, kind of thing. That was amazing. Uh, and then also how it, it struck me how the, the Carthage-inspired thing where they're surrounding them with shields and pikes and then slowly yeah. tightening the noose, that reminded me a lot of an Iron Maiden from the inside out, right? Yeah. Like that was yeah, the same totally. principle, just slowly perforating everything uh do you think that john is invulnerable i don't think so i think it's more of an issue of he's possibly got a little bit of a legendary thing going on there and maybe he's protected in some way in the mythos of game of thrones but i don't think think he's invulnerable because i've heard from three different people big Game of Thrones fans, both book and show, that insist that they took away from this that he has been granted an invulnerability, that he cannot die, that he was attacked and beaten and arrows flying, and then he was buried under these guys and whatever else, and he was choking, Mm -hmm. but he never died because he can't die, because he's not allowed to die. And I took it as... He's an important character for the story. Mm-hmm. He's a protagonist. He's the only like hopeful protagonist left. Yeah. And and it was style because I, people were presenting to me that, well, you know, he runs all the way out there and you see the, 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 the horses and everything fly past him. And then the other guys come and somehow he's still alive, even though right. he was trampled and all this other stuff. But I don't know. I, th- I thought it was style. Not I think so, too. Absolutely. That, that he was, you know. I mean, maybe he's destined to survive, but I don't think it's a, yeah, I don't think it's a glamour. I don't think it's a special ability he has. Because if he was invulnerable or incapable of being killed, they would have shown arrows hitting him and it not hurting him or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or some obvious, yeah, I mean, to me more, it was just he was, (laughs) he very nearly drowned in people and then he managed to get out of it. Um so I have another question for you. Do you think that Sansa really intended to free uh, Rickon, or do you think that she realized that the, the futility, knowing Ramsay, I think she knew, knew that he, he was, was already dead. dead yeah, and she was using that as motivation to keep John, motiv- you know, fired up about doing this, knowing that it was never going to happen. Yeah, I don't think there was a second that she thought they were ever going to get Rickon back. I think she but, knew that as soon as he had him, he was a dead kid. There's been a lot of focus on her um, proclaiming in those war sessions that, like, well, I am not a soldier. I don't know what to do, but right. I do know the guy. Right. You can't, you can't expect him to, to, to do what you think he's going to do. At the same time, I feel like she just – I feel like she's been hedging her bets a little bit. I feel like she's been 
a lot of people have written and said that they think that you're that you're applying too much strategy and tactics to her and that she's a dumber character than that. But I think that she has she has grown. Mm-hmm. I think we're seeing post Littlefinger evidence yep. that she has learned that you ha- cynically that you have to be strategic about how you convey information and you have to be strategic about how you react to things. Yeah. Because she has had opportunities to tell. She's conspicuously not told John about her veil deal. Right. And I think it was and I think it was a smart thing. Mm-hmm. Because had he known, no way would this have happened the way it did because right. he blunted the whole thing. If if the veil had come the nice of the veil had come in time, he would have just thrown him in the front and it wouldn't have been the surprise attack. Right. And Ramsey would have just retreated back and it would have been a siege action and it Right. And or he would have reacted violently about the fact that Littlefinger was involved and it would have distracted him from the thing. Mm-hmm. I think that she was smart about saying, don't believe that you can win this easily. Don't underestimate Ramsey. Um, you know, and we, we have real problems in numbers. Right. But I think she was smart, smart not to play her whole hand. And I I'm think really so too. looking forward to their interaction in the finale because I really want to see <laughs> how john reacts because it's sort of like you know it's one of those things where it's like you know you know you 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 got you got rescued you got rescued from being you know stuck on the country road somewhere but you got rescued by your daughter who's driving the car she's not supposed to drive (laughs) right and she's with her 33 year old boyfriend right the whole movie right john ham's in that one too but you know it's yeah it it has that vibe to me like he's going to be like well you saved my ass but also right i don't know i think that'll be interesting yeah, I think uh, that, that that entire scene was just really interesting, the way she has progressed past the Stark thing. Right. Everybody, all of the other Starks have been so, like, dead set on that one thing they have to do that they can't think three or four steps ahead. And she's learned that she has to be able to do that. And I think they do a pretty good job of portraying that if you're not stuck on, oh, she's a dumb girl kind of thing. Well, and, and, and that was quite deliberate in the first season. Mm-hmm. She was the most spoiled. Yes. She was a pretty spoiled princess, and she was such a little shit. Absolutely. So that's why it's kind of and, – and even last episode when John was like, well, you've grown. you know, Right. Uh, everything about that was interesting to me. I think also, though, you know, I'm not a Littlefinger hater. I really like mm-hmm. his character, and I like him being involved. I like the idea that he has – he has groomed her in the realities of the world. Yeah. Even that, even that, even in that he be, betrayed her or left her in a circumstance that led to some really fucked up stuff. Uh, I, you know, I like that. I like the idea that he taught her the ropes. I think he had to do that to a certain extent. He had to do that to show her how Ramsey does things and what he does and that kind of stuff. I think that was all calculated for him. It was a gamble. Yeah. Um, no guarantee she, he wouldn't kill her. Right. Have babies or something. If nothing else, he taught her that if you wear dark robes and stuff, you're more serious, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Overnight, right? She just showed up. She's riding alongside him. Although I do up. think it's interesting that she was she wearing tried. a dark blue with silver embroidery on the wolf. Hmm. What do you think that means? Well, it's just it's interesting that that's kind of uh, <laughs> fucking Littlefinger's colors. He's, so he's okay, the blue and silver. So here's a question: Do you think? So I have a couple of little finger questions for you, because everybody who's heard this knows the battle and how it went. Yes. I hope. Yes. So 
Um, and there are some wonderful money shots in this whole thing. I love the retreat. I love the res- the refusal to do one on one combat. Mm-hmm. And then John says, "Well, great. So now your 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 soldiers are going to follow you into battle now, and you wouldn't support right. them." And then and then after all of that, and sacrificing Rickon who can't zigzag run, <laughs> and all that, and then, and then and then the battle is is lost, and Ramsay retreats into into Winterfell, and then Winterfell is not giant proof. Everything right. about that whole thing. Even the sacrifice of everyone's favorite giant, Yun Yun. Rest in peace, one one. <laughs> one one. I just, I loved. It was so satisfying. That said, I have some questions about mm. Littlefinger. Do you think he strategic? He did what I would call strategic marching, so that he arrived at the right time, or do you think it was just happy circumstance in the plot I that he arrived? Feel like they were waiting in the wings. Like they had a scout. I think they were specifically waiting for the chance that Ramsey broke ranks and zoomed everything in and weren't paying attention to anyone except for who was in the middle of that shield ring. Yeah, because realistically, it's really hard to hide a massive army. Right. Mark. And I would have thought I was surprised when they showed up because I would have thought that Ramsey's scouts would have discovered that there were troops on other flanks. Right. And. And so either so I, that made me feel like they deliberately held back and stayed out of range and then marched in order to arrive when they did. I don't know, but it was sure fun yeah. to see for the first time ever top down to see a a, a, a spear a spear configuration cavalry maneuver where you just take out the, <laughs> right. take out the from the side you just flank them and just blast through like you're cutting butter, man. Yeah, was, it looked so good. So. I had a thought. Do you think that she made a pact with the devil with Littlefinger and agreed to marry him, perhaps? Well, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, obviously, she's not married anymore by the end of the episode. Um, she's that's a all widow. He's ever that's all he's ever wanted. It is. He's second to her mother. Of anything that Littlefinger does, he lets his love for the Stark girls rule his... His little finger. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, and think about the power position, though. Right. He would be marrying into the only known true Stark. Right. Because, right? you know, the, the, the claim from a bastard is, is questionable, right? And so nobody he'd be knows married that Bran's into, still alive. Right. So he'd be married into the only known surviving Stark mm-hmm. who, if he arrives at the right time, they take the North and now he's in a real power position right. to deal with King's Landing. So, I don't know. To me, I, I would be astonished if we don't learn that she's agreed to marry him. I agree. Because can you imagine John twisting at oh, Littlefinger? Yeah. You know, like, kind of with his hands like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Will you be my best man, John? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have some ideas for the bachelor party. <laughs> We could have it at my place. So right. Anyway, another thing I read was that Jon Snow's army is 50% Alan Moore's. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that a lot. One thing I saw that I, that did strike me, um, someone was like, why didn't they give 1-1 a giant fucking tree to bat at people with? No kidding. Why didn't he have a weapon? <laughs> Second time, right? Yeah. Wasn't the other giant? bear just running around doing yeah nothing? yeah 
And and I wrote down to ask you because you're the one who knows everything about Game of Thrones. Why are there <laughs> only two giants? Uh, well, they were fairly close to being extinct as it was. Um, they were just like hunted down, and uh, they weren't real populous to begin with. But apparently, there's rumors that there's still others beyond the wall somewhere. But that as of right now, one one may have been the last giant because the rest of them died in the siege on Castle Black. Was there any? Were there more than one in the Castle Black siege besides? Oh yeah, yeah. One one. This one. Yeah, there were quite a few in at least in the books. There was the oh. one guy that got like crushed in the the wall that was trying to go through the tunnel, and there were the ones riding the the big elephant rhino things. And, oh okay. Yeah. So my sense, my sense was that the um, was that there was that whole John calling the wildlings to join, you know, all the disparate tribes to join together to, to you know, in in defense mm-hmm. as a common defense against the White Walkers. That some wildlings accepted and then some did not. And so the idea that there would be some giants that are out wandering around in the trees, and that could know, be too. Yeah, I don't know, but it, it was super tragic. I don't know why we attach. I don't know why we're so attached to the the giants in the show, but <laughs> the big hairy guys, yeah. It just I don't know what it is, but it was seems so tragic when each of them have died. It's been like, oh no. Yeah. I don't know. It's sad. It's sad when they die. Yeah. Giants. Yeah. So uh in interviews with Miguel uh Sapochnik, who mm-hmm. I guess also directed the hard home stuff. Um, apparently all the cavalry stuff was real. Like all those charges were yeah. all really filmed and a lot of real practical effects were used. Yeah. Yeah. They did a lot of digital composition between the real shots. Um, they'd film like layers and then layer all of them together apparently. Sure. But yeah, that's I'd, like, I heard something of like, they had to import like 160 tons of gravel because she <laughs> was getting so uh, muddy with all the horses and stuff. But the scale of it is just unreal. It's insane to me. Yeah, it's just. I don't want to. Impressive. <laughs> I don't want to butcher his name. Uh, the actor that I love that played um, Ramsey. Um, yeah, it's <sighs> it's like Iwan Rion or something. Yeah. But I genuinely have no pronoun. I I do not have a pronunciation guide for Ramsey's actor. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to use any of the pronunciation for that language. But. Um, uh, the quote I read was, he said, I had received half the scripts, five episodes, and then I got the call. They said, isn't it great Ramsey ends up on the Iron Throne? And as soon as they said that, he said, like, I'm dead, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> and and That's again, awesome. you have to go back and watch Misfits because it's so different to see right. his character. And particularly the arc of his character in that show will shock you compared and then compare it to this this role. Um <laughs> I, you know, it's bittersweet for me, Ramsey dying, only because somehow part of me wanted to see him on the run for a while, but really <laughs> um, experiencing setbacks because yeah. I wanted to see setbacks before I saw death. But I have to say, this was such a poetic justice it end. Absolutely was. And I'm not sure that there is a Game of Thrones fan in the world that didn't jump when she walked away with the slightest little grin. Yeah, that was just so perfectly understated. I thought it was great. The little whiny, entitled princess from season one just fed her enemy to the dogs and smiled about it. I mean, yeah. it was just... 
that whole thing was so great. And I mean, you know, granted, I don't own dogs, but that whole thing where he's like, my dogs won't harm me. And that one was like, <laughs> and took a lick of his face, a little tentative lick. It's like, well, it, he's not going. And then, you know. Yeah. When you, when you train your dogs to kill people, you can't really rely on their yeah. loyalty. And then you starve them. Right. Yeah. I, I kind say- of, I kept expecting that to be the scene where they reveal ghost and ghost walks yes. out and is like so new pack leader or something. But I thought too, I guess they made the choice to not incorporate ghost into the battle because a, they didn't want to have to figure out how ghost wouldn't get peppered with arrows sure. and B, they wanted to give one, one more screen time, which I applaud that choice. I think that was an excellent idea. Well, and also it's entirely inconsistent to imagine that you would put a dire wolf in that situation and it would a have taken dominance over starving right dogs death dogs or whatever and then also that 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 dire wolf would then go and eat a human right. there's nothing that suggests just because they were bonded to everyone's favorite starks that they would do stuff like that <laughs> exactly um, so i you know i don't know if anything i'm still frustrated that i don't know where um john snow's dire wolf is but yeah yeah I keep waiting, you know, for some sort of Lady Hawk style effect where it's going <laughs> to be some synth music as he jumps into the battle from somewhere <laughs> off screen. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, so the the other thing about that circumstance was I was pleasantly surprised that Ramsey didn't pull an 11th hour murder because when... John beats him to death. The whole raid on the on Winterfell, storming your own castle, mm-hmm. your family castle, taking him down in the courtyard where so many horrible things yeah. have happened since those first those first episodes. Bringing the shield up before each arrow, which is pretty impressive, right? <laughs> right, and then beating him down, beating him, beating, him, beating, him, beating him, and then looking up and seeing Sansa just like so stoic and realizing, well, you know. Kind of a weird token thing, but she's got a she gets to have the final the killing blow or whatever. At that moment, I was just so tense that I felt my back and my neck were really painful. Like like I felt how tense I was, right? Because I was convinced that Ramsey was going to pull the knife out of the belt, right? And stab John in that last moment, and that now Sansa was going to have to deal with the idea that John died for her, yeah, for her uh, sort of uh, honor. When she basically, you know, one one might argue that she screwed all those wild things. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But so I'm glad it didn't happen. It, I thought it was going to happen, and it didn't happen. So I was happy. <laughs> I don't want dead Jon Snows. I like I like living Jon Snow. Yeah, we like living Jon Snow. Um, so anyway, that was a pretty intense episode. Yeah, it was. I just was like, uh, I remember thinking when it was done that the the little after, you know, how they have the the after the show where they talk about things and then they also have that that weird live chat. Right. Yeah, I haven't really watched the, the live chat one since the first time I watched it because I was like, eh, these guys are kind yeah. of obnoxious. They are. I can't, I can't, I can't tolerate their demeanor. They're just irritating. That yeah. said, I was imagining that they would start that and those guys would just be like, oh, just like <laughs> staring. That sort of awkward slow drinking of their drinks. Right. Like, um... <laughs> But uh, so now we're left with one episode in in the season and yeah. a lot of dramatic things have happened. And I did not watch the preview. Right. But I'm wondering what you th- what's your theory about 
what's going to happen in the finale and what the big um, sort of cliffhanger for season seven is going to be. It's called The Winds of Winter. That's a thing. Um, which is the name of the upcoming book as well, which Too I late. think is interesting. Um, I'm assuming, obviously, that they've got to cover the trial. Cersei's got to be covered in some manner or another. I'd really like to see Arya get back to Westeros, but realistically, her and uh, Daenerys are both kind of just sitting on that other end of the ocean there. So it is really hard to imagine that either of those plot points can get over to Westeros in time, right? Unless. Unless they pull a time thing. Right. And they're like, you know, it's been a month since you, you know, whatever. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't really have a sense of scale thanks to that little CGI map. I don't really know how far right. of a sailing, how, how far of a voyage other than the when Tyrion and, and Varys went across. It seemed like it took them, you know, several days. Yeah, yeah. But, and um, they said specifically that her trial was the next day. They did. So. And I'm really um, concerned. I want to see Varys one more time. So I'm hoping... That we'll get to see him. I'm going to assume up. he's going to show up based off of some things that happen in the book. Oh, I'm going to so, assume various will be back. What I find interesting about all of the um, Westeros politics is that we know as the viewers of the show and Jon Snow knows from what he's experienced. He knows nothing. The, the re- <laughs> he knows nothing. But the real the real threat is this, you know, an unstoppable undead army. Yes. That animates their own dead, and you can't touch them. And there's ten swords. There's ten of those swords left, you know. Right. A couple of shards of dragon glass. So you know. So he knows that, and right. presumably, and the wildlings know that, and so he's presumably been sharing that with everybody. But I'm, I constantly think about how much how much loss of life has occurred in taking control of the Western world, right, or establishing these strongholds necessarily so mm-hmm. can't fight the no, can't fight the 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 white walkers if you know you got nowhere to fight right right in the south but it's very much you know it's very much one of those situations where you know just like in real world history they've burned themselves out fighting one front and then you got the other front that is going to be impossible <laughs> i hate to make john snow's people the germans but i mean you know that's what's right. happening <laughs> <laughs> well and we it's involved in a land war in asia <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting when you think about all of the different groups that we're looking at here realistically john snow and him in particular there's got to be some sort of confrontation with him and sansa and littlefinger Yes. And clearly Davos and the Red Queen need to, or the Red Priestess need to have some talkings. I'm assuming they'll probably show the Hound at some point heading that direction or eating chicken or something. Um, but the only ones that in my head have to happen in the next episode is they have to cover the trial. They have to address marine in some fashion whether they're staying there or whether they're headed across the ocean i would really assume that sam and gilly have to come into play in some capacity that'd be neat i was thinking that that this is going to be one of those deals where they're going to whether it's king's landing events happen or whether it's whatever but probably king's landing stuff but Mm -hmm. whatever it is that the last 
moments of the of the episode are going to be, you know, all the drama that happens. Right. It's like, what the? And they look up, and there's a dragon overhead. Yeah. And you see the haze of all these ships on the horizon, and they realize that after all of that, they're about to be invaded. Yeah. And that um, would be really interesting to see. I, I also... I feel, like, I feel like she has to land and be involved before the White Walkers come. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm assuming that there will be at least one or two scenes with Bran as well. Mm-hmm. I'm I would be shocked if they don't do the Tower of Joy again. Yeah, right. Well, to tie it all together, now that they've really brought that in. Right. Right, they've made it a, you know, a really strong tether to the books that mm-hmm. this is what in fact has happened. Um also though, could be because I'm constantly interested in the clash between the fantasy that the the most of the Westeros world think the White Walkers really are, <laughs> right? And I really want to see the images of them bursting through the wall and and just like swarming over mm-hmm. those weird sort of I don't know Iceland style stuff <laughs> in the north, you know, just right. you know, smashing through and turning cows and doing whatever it is they do. Um, I'm waiting for that moment when everybody drops everything. Right. It's like it's like attack the block, right? When everyone right. they're they're like running from cops and they're like, well, there's something bigger to worry about. You know, like I'm looking forward to that scene. Um, but I feel like we can't have White Walkers breach and Daenerys. No, no, I think there's too much other stuff going King's on. Landing. So they did confirm. I think they confirmed that seven and eight were signed in by HBO with right. big payments for everybody. What they haven't said is whether it's true that they're going to have short, short seasons or not. Right. And I'm praying that they don't because I, do I still don't, I don't understand the thing about that, that I don't understand is that there's no, I don't, I don't see any motivation to make short seasons. No, I don't either. This is HBO's banner show. Right. These guys have found themselves very capable of moving on beyond the R.R. Martin stuff. Right. See, it's the second most second most popular and watched show in the world beyond what was it like Bachelor or something? Right? Yeah, it's, something it's ridiculous. Non, like yeah, that. it's a theoretically non-fictional thing. <clears throat> so, you know, to me. It, it should be more about, well, it should be going, HBO should be saying, I want it to go to perpetuity. And people are saying, well, you know. <laughs> right. But the other thing about it that trips me out, and we talked about this a little bit before, is that we've have, we have this glacial pace of storytelling mm-hmm. with regards to, and I use that word deliberately, with regards to this larger concept in the story that the seasons are so long mm-hmm. and have been so far away that you have generations of people that haven't had winter. That winter might be a twenty-year or a thirty-year thing, right? Isn't right. that the, isn't that the scale of it? Can be. It's it's a variable decades. age time thing, <laughs> but it can be decades. And it's been yeah. decades since there was a winter. Yes, a right? uh, real winter. Yeah, they still okay. get like winters, but not a like a year-long, three-year, thirty-year-long winter. So to me, the scale of that and if the White Walkers armies and all that stuff are coming and the whole winter is coming thing is happening, the fact that we've gone six seasons with just the threat of this and we've only got one and a half seasons where there's snow on the ground Mm -hmm. in the north only suggests to me that we got a lot more story to tell unless they're going to just end the story, killing off the White Walkers 
in the snow and then be like, okay, now we have no supplies and no fire and all our castles are ruined and everyone's right. dead. And we have 20 more years of winter. You know? <laughs> like, I don't know. There's something about that that doesn't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the end game is, but I'm hoping that this short seasons thing isn't real. Yeah, me too. I don't know. But, so, so anyway. Red Tentacle. Red Tentacle. What was your Red Tentacle moment? I would have to say my Red Tentacle moment was from episode 9. And mm. it was the moment when Jon Snow gets to his brother and realizes he fucked up. <laughs> Where he yeah. looks up and sees the armies coming towards him and, like, pulls his sword Drops the belt on the ground and looks up at those horses coming. I thought that was so well done. I loved it. It was so tragic. It was broadcast to us. You knew Rickon was going to die. Yeah. And it was so sad. It was one of three or four uh, tactical maneuvers that showed Ramsey being both sadistic and a very, very smart tactician. Yeah. It's something that something I wrote down that someone wrote, which was Ramsey may be a psychopath as a hobby. <laughs> but inside that twisted mind is a very clever, very pragmatic Bolton. Right. Um, I. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I. Yeah. Okay. I. I. I feel you on that tentacle. <laughs> so my tentacle was actually in season in, in episode eight, Ooh. and it was. When. Jamie and Brienne are talking, and Bran says, "You know, if this doesn't work." You're going to let me sneak in there and attempt to convince him to leave. Mm -hmm. But if he doesn't, you realize I'm honor bound to fight by his side. Right. So you're going to let me go in there and then in, and then very likely fail and then turn around and then I will have to fight you. <laughs> and we have this bond. It's not, you know, we have this very strong emotional connection. And what would break our hearts is having to fight each other. And you realize that's where we're at. Right. And that the slow burn melancholy silence and stillness of that sequence, that whole exchange they had leading to her saying that and him looking at her and her looking at him and then her leaving right. to me was just like, it was just amazing. Yeah. That's, that was a really good scene. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, in any episode where the young, uh, master of the veil doesn't get to say, you know, throw him through the moon door. No, <laughs> this is always my follow up. This is going to be some other thing that was rad, but that would always get the tentacle if I had the choice. But, right on. So, so I think that that quite puts a fork in us. I cannot imagine with, that we're going to get to X-Men tonight, but next, maybe next time we'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. X-Men is coming. Apocalypse is coming, but X-Men are coming. Yeah. It's, it may not happen this evening on this particular episode of Robot Kraken. <laughs> we do have time for you to tell me all about your Runaways casting if you feel like doing. Well, doing there's runaway. a there's a dinosaur, yeah. and I decided to cast George Takei in that role. And... <laughs> oh my! Yes, oh I get it. My. So, how about some planned pondering then? Pondering. Planned pondering. Plan pondering. <laughs> planned pondering. You and Nexus, huh? I design your eyes. Sure. If only you could see what I've seen with your eyes. What are you looking forward to this coming week other than sleep? Oh, man, I am looking forward to sleep. Why did I write Drive down? Did you want to watch the movie Drive? I do want to watch the movie Drive. Maybe that's Never what I was thinking it. of. Chris, I understand that... Uh, 
Nice Guys is not playing within 100 miles of you. That is correct. So maybe writing Drive was a subliminal thing for yourself that is ah, just trying to convince ah, you that ah. you need to drive to California in order to see this movie. I do need to track that down, but... Holy hell, you need to see that movie. I know. I'm so excited about it, and I'm so fucking annoyed that it's nowhere near me anywhere. And it's not like it's like a non-mainstream movie. It's friggin' Baby Goose and The Gladiator solving crime in the 70s. And lots of pizzas. Yeah, it's just ridiculous to me. I can't even tell you how much I want to talk to you about this movie. We, You and I are the target markets for this movie. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Drive is on my list. (laughs) What's that? Drive is on my list, actually. I would like to watch that movie because he has a new movie coming out called The Neon Demon that looks intense and crazy. Um, there's also something else that I've started watching that I'm going to continue watching that's on my planned plundering, and that is a television show on Hulu called Deadbeat. Dude, you finally... Finally started... I'm on... We just started season two. Oh, my... So, yeah, it's excellent. I've heard season three is a little bit of a letdown. No way. So, okay, so first of all, two things. First of all... Um, my lovely wife and I have been watching season three. We're watching like one or two a night trying uh-huh. to like, we're trying to, to like spread it out. Right. It is so fun. We love the original first two seasons. I mean, mm-hmm. we love the tone of it and everything, but they do a different, uh, storytelling method in season three. Okay. They reinvent the story as more of a buddy cop, buddy comedy kind of thing okay but it's so successful to me and the real tragedy the real tragedy is that they he he confirmed on twitter the other day that they canceled it so yeah yeah you know it's a finite thing but man oh man i'm glad that you're watching it now because i felt like i felt like tyler levine lived his whole life in order to get this move this this show started so perfect and like i love lucy devito in it she's fucking amazing and that field is she like did she yeah. ever do before this? I don't know, honestly. Like, I haven't even looked her up. I'm just like, it's she's just super enjoyable. I love her. Um, and I remember the... watching, thinking she had familiar posture, the name, and then the posture, and I'm thinking, no way, right? Annie DeVito's daughter. <laughs> yeah, and I love the intro t- in the second season, the animated opening that they t- they plopped in. Oh, it's fantastic. It's really I love good. that the cra- the cars crash and then the ghosts are arguing about yeah. it. You know? Yeah, no, I'm glad you're watching that, man, because that is awesome. Yes. That, so that's that's my planned plundering. How about you? What do you have in your docket? Well, so as you know, I've been working my way slowly through season one of Peaky Blinders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another canceled did, show. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, I did watch the first episode of Preacher, but it was riddled with commercials and it was driving me nuts and i need to rewatch it However, yeah, i saw the first two episodes of preacher uh, i haven't watched the third one because they forced you to sign in to watch it well so, so the the trick is that depending on your the cable provider that you may or may not actually have <laughs> um certain apps on the apple tv work or they don't so i don't have an apple tv tom i can change that but uh so <laughs> uh so here it's comcast is the primary cable provider in the AMC app, when you go to attempt to 
to activate it, it says it's not supported. Uh, and I told me that's I was pissed. And so I did some research and found out that someone posted a way that you can hack it to make it released by uh, change by copying the 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 URL and then making edits to it. And so I did that last night and I like eleven thirty at night I got it unlocked so I can I can get all the episodes now. Nice. Um so I'm stoked to resume. I want to watch the first season of the first episode again and mm-hmm. I hope that they that by unlocking it, I don't have to sit through 35 commercials. Same <laughs> thing they did with that X-Files thing. And that's yeah. Totally ruins it. So that's what I'm looking forward to. The other thing I wrote last time was that I was going to read Star Wars Bloodline. Mm-hmm. So I got two chapters in. Okay. I told you I don't read books anymore. I don't have Correct. Time. Yes. And I sat down and made a point of trying to read this book. And I got through the first chapter and I was like, this is doing everything wrong for me. <laughs> I have so little patience for a first-person narrative. Ah. I have so patience for indulgent sort of, I, I don't know, that 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 whimsical thing where the main narrative voice is just so, I don't know, just so precious. <laughs> and and this is coming from a C.G. Cherry fan who, right. you know, I mean, she's a psychologist, right? She does pages and pages of internal monologue. And it can be really unsufferable at times. Mm. But this is not that. She's no C.J. Cherry. Or this <laughs> writer, whatever it was, not C.J. Cherry. So I gave up two chapters in. Okay. I'm going to try and talk uh, Borders into taking it back to Barnes & Noble. <laughs> like, you're, a, you're, a dying, you're a dying bookstore that's a major chain that, that choked out small bookstores. And I'm still going to try and get you to take this book you're back. You're like, I bought this book reading hard. Take back. So, uh, <laughs> so that's all. And then... Um, and then also I had mentioned last time that I wanted to play um, Overwatch, and so yes. I subsequently did. And, you know, it's kind of frustrating. It's one of these games where it plays on that um, that add-on model where yeah. you have to buy online content in order to play it. Right. So, so Battlefront, for example, when I bought the PS4, I got it for Battlefront. And that was like you could play the game, and then if you want to actually play against people and not in the training mode, mm-hmm. if you want to actually the maps interactive with other people then you have to buy into the the whatever the construct is the playstation yeah, now or yeah. whatever the construct is that allows you to have multiplayer so i'm already irritated that i have to pay extra money on top of 60 bucks in order to shoot other like humans playing you know nine-year-old korean kids that can just nuke me from afar i was playing boba fett okay i had to pay money for that mm-hmm, so right. I put in Overwatch and I can't even start the game without the subscription. No shit. Can't even do a demo. You can't do a, a training or anything. And so I was outraged by the mechanism. And then I paid it anyway. And <laughs> I spent whatever, like two or three, two nights maybe. Right. It's been a great time. And in, and then for in each in each night, some a couple hours in, I'm having a great time because i'm fairly well matched in terms of the experience points level of the other people that are lining up because you know it overwatch has a very team fortress style okay structure to it you know you're on some sort of map and you're getting into teams and then you want to balance your team in terms of the character types to have the right amount of offense and defense and whatever else Mm -hmm. okay so and then it's crazy in the field however you get to a certain point it seems to me in the two nights i played it was around 11 30 at night that all of a sudden all the people in those in those game rooms are at like experience point 30 <laughs> so immediately it's like 30 25 30 and then me seven so <laughs> you know the map starts and it's like beep beep 
Ooh, you're over. You know, <laughs> dead. <laughs> dead. Like, wait a minute. So I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure what to do there. The biggest complaint that I've read about Overwatch, and I agree, is that it doesn't have a story mode yeah. because so much developed in the character design and the and and everything. It's so wonderful that you want to just pl- you want to be able to just play it and mm-hmm. not have to be waiting to be shot by someone. Um, but it's pretty great. Uh, so my current list is there's a movie called Legend featuring Tom Hardy playing uh, hmm. a pair of uh, Underworld twins. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, from like something. 2014 or something like that. Finally got that on Netflix. I'm going to watch that. Um, I didn't realize that was on there. Uh, I'm making a, a a point to try to see if I can ca- just catch up on my comic reading. So I've been like every Ooh. night trying to read like eight or nine or ten comics. So I've already gotten to March 2014. So I'm really catching up. I'm within two <laughs> years. I'm almost within two years of current <laughs> on Marvel using wow. my, my uh, Marvel Unlimited subscription, which on an iPad Pro just looks amazing. Right, right on. I bet it does. So, yeah. Um, and then as far as... Uh, you know, I think, you know, I think that's pretty much it on, on TV shows. The other thing I was going to say was that I, when I bought that subscription in order to, to play Overwatch, they mm-hmm. gave me access to powers. Oh, I, oh yeah. So I didn't rewatch the pilot, which I remembered being really awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just dove into the second and third episodes or whatever, and I'm starting to warm up to it a little bit more. It was around the third episode that I started to be like, oh, this actually looks more interesting than I thought it was going to be. So how so how is it that you got access to it? Uh, they like had some sort of promotional thing where you could get a, you could rent it for free uh, from the PlayStation Store for like a month. And then uh, I didn't get a chance to finish it before my subscription was up. So that's all I've seen. Supposedly, Crackle mm-hmm. Distribution Network started releasing season one of Powers entirely. Oh, really? So you, however, the Crackle app, if you use that to link to any device or to run that off of your devices, it doesn't show the show. But I think maybe if you go to the website, you can get Powers on Crackle and then stream it or something. I don't know. Hmm. But uh, so anyway, I've got that to watch as well. We'll see. Um, I I do. I, I have an article pinned from uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis that I don't want to read yet because I haven't caught up. But it talks a lot about his the differences in the Powers season one script versus what the Powers comic was about and why it's why the, the showrunner chose to go in a different direction and make this release more about old versus you know like older versus younger generation people and how they look at things versus the dangerous powers out there and and a procedural police procedural about dealing with them and and so far that seems to be the case from what i've seen it does very much have that tone of the young dumbass youth versus the the older generation that are like exhausted right (laughs) world so i don't know it'd be interesting i want to read that article after i've seen it but Hmm, that's cool and that's about it. That's all right. Right on. Like I said, about brings us to the end of this episode, doesn't it? It was a chunky episode, man. It was. I think we were running at about two and a half hours-ish. That's not bad. Not bad for two episodes of uh, Game of Tolls plus Anton Yelchin dying. Yeah. So, uh, I guess I would say then that this has been, what, Robot Kraken brought to you by your friends Tom and Chris? Yes. Where can they reach us? Well, they can get me at Deeply Dapper. That's my username on Twitter and Instagram. 
Or you can email me, deeplydapper at gmail.com. You can reach me at uh, Tom, T-H-O-M, at thirdraildesignlab.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook and such as Third Rail Design Lab. Uh, and then you can uh, also reach us uh, both. Cumulatively, yes. Cumulatively. That's <laughs> salty at robot-kraken.com, which the Russians have already found. <laughs> hey, all right. Well, Penis enlargement for all. <laughs> Russians are in charge of Nigerian uh, payouts, which is odd. Um, anyway, I think it's time to unrelease the Kraken. Yeah. You what can always go about? to robot-kraken.com for all your sweet, nerdy news. That's contemporary news that no one else has, by the way. Yes. And we'll put the, the robot Kraken back in this cage for the time being. So what are we going to talk about next time? Well, we might talk about X-Men Apocatole again. Uh, what is it? <laughs> Apocahole? Apocahole. So X-Men Apocalypse. And then also I have a feeling based on timing that we might also have to talk about the finality of Game of Thrones. I think that's probably going to happen. Yeah. Maybe next time will be sort of what we had planned for this time. Or we might just end up talking about the finale of Game of Thrones for three hours and bumping X-Men again. (laughs) 67 minute finale, actually. Right. What if, uh, what if we, we completely fuse the two so that we're talking about Game of Thrones and X Men Apocalypse at the exact same time. And depending, <laughs> like if you like pause, you pause, release, pause, release, pause, release the podcast, you're going to get one or the other review at the same time. It would be efficient, if nothing else. I don't know if efficient's the right word for what you just described. I think you're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I don't know. All right, well, you need to unrelease the crack. And this was a fun, yeah. fun, a fun conversation. I enjoyed it. Have a good night, everybody. Have a good night. My watch is ended.